Hi folks, this is Jack Spierko with another edition of the Survival Podcast. As always, one man's view of the changing world, the changing times, and the things we can all do to live a better life. If times get tough, or even if they don't. Today is December the 12th, 2017. This is episode 2130 of the Survival Podcast. <clears throat> and this is going to be a Just Jack show. And it's going to be on a subject that about half of you seem to be really, really into, and the other half of you seem to be like, don't care. And that's cryptocurrency. Let me tell you how I came up with the decision to do this show today. It's a, it's a combination of two things. One, it is the audience speaking. So we have a group that I've invited you to join for about a year now since it was created on Facebook called the Survival Podcast Facebook Forum. And it has about 7,000 members in it. And so that's a, a, it is not the entire audience by a long shot. It's not even 10% of the audience, but it's a significant swath. So when I go there and I ask something, I, I, I consider that I'm getting a pretty good representation when I'm doing a polling on an opinion. So I went there today with three potential shows in mind, and this is what they were. Cryptocurrency, ins, outs, crazy pricing, things people don't know. Uh, and the second one was 20, 12 to 20 new things to grow in 2018. Uh, this would be like gardening stuff, annuals mostly instead of you know, perennials. Uh, the Baker, Seed, uh, Baker Creek Seed Catalog is here. I'm planning out everything. So it would be an interesting time to give you some different items that you could think about growing this year. And uh, Spearco Projects for 2018, lots of new stuff coming, strange things like my bantam chickens that I wanted to raise quail, eating their eggs and stuff like that, expanding on the planning show. Uh, and this is, this is the way the results came in. The cryptocurrency show got 48% of the vote. Uh, the suggested show on 12 to 20 new things to grow in 2018 got 31% of the vote. And the projects show got 21% of the vote. The project show could be big or small. So what I'm going to do is next week, I'm going to do the new things to grow, and I'm going to include a little bit of what I had in mind for it with that, like a combined show. I'm going to do this one on cryptocurrency today. So one of the things I would advise you to do, if you want a voice here, because in the end, even though those were the numbers and it was pretty overwhelming, about 130, 140 people made this decision. And you can't make the decision if you're not part of the group. Oh, Facebook sucks. I okay, Look, it's up to you if you want to be part of it or not, but this is how I'm doing stuff because it's easy, and we have really tight relationships there. People talk to each other. By the way, it's a closed group, which means nothing you discuss is going to be publicly accessible to anybody unless they are part of the group. And when you join it, you have to be approved. So just uh, if you don't get approved for some reason, let me know, and I'll, I'll look into it. Unless you've been kicked out. If you've been kicked out, don't ask. I'm not helping. It's, it's the way that it works. You get your ass kicked out, you're out. Okay, the other reason is, again, about half of the audience is not really into this subject. And I, I, I'm going to have a message for you when we get into the topic. But I also want to serve you. I want to serve you as well. So my thought was, I'll get a whole shitload of questions off of Facebook, which I have. That'll answer the majority of the things people are totally confused about, and I'll do my best with it. And then when somebody says, but Jack, blah, 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 I can say, go to episode 2130, and we don't have to keep doing this. 
Right? So this is the thing. I love this subject or I wouldn't talk about it. I think this is important or I wouldn't talk about it. But I think a lot of things are important. I think basic preparedness is important. I think homesteading topics like permaculture are important. I think economics outside of cryptocurrency is important. I think tons of stuff is important. And I've worked really hard to make this show truly the most diverse show available in a podcast that appeals to people that have a self-sufficient, self-reliant bent. So that there's, there's, I want this to be, there'd be nothing like this available anywhere else as far as the, the, the breadth of material. And if one subject, no matter how great it is in the opinions of some, becomes a dominant force, it, 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 it cannibalizes the other subjects. So, for instance, when we started talking about quail, man, it got out of hand. And I did a show, and I'm hoping today's show doesn't become one of these and doesn't strain my voice so early in the week. But I did a Q&A quail show with a lot more build-up than this one, honestly. And it ended up being like almost four hours. But it also ended this huge, and I don't think I don't want your questions, guys. Just the, the redundancy of the same questions over and over and over again. I want to put it in one place. So if you want to know it's here, And we'll continue to cover it, but as a much more uh, component of the whole rather than a dominant force that it's starting to become, and I don't want that to happen, especially for those of you that I don't like. I don't care because I hear it. I don't give a damn about this. Okay, I understand, but I've got to serve everybody as best I can, which means someday some people like things better than others. So that's why we're doing this today. Before we get into it, let's go ahead and hear from our two sponsors of the day. Sponsor of the day number one today is J.M. Bullion. It's kind of interesting, isn't it, that our silver and gold sponsor just turned up in the rotation on a show about cryptocurrency. I think that's cool, though. And let me tell you why. I've been giving a recommendation for your net wealth investment since 2008 that has been and has remained 5% to 10% of your net wealth into silver and gold. And that, that, that number has not changed in my recommendation. That is the number used by some of the wealthiest people in the world to ensure their legacy and their long-term wealth. Being able to hand it down to the family members completely anonymously, there's so much value in silver and gold for what they are. I actually think for a means of exchange, cryptocurrency works better. But for... Pure wealth that can be held in the hand and passed down, I think gold and silver are better. It's not one or the other. It's both in how we allocate our investments. But the other side of this is, if you go buy a silver eagle tomorrow, it is a silver eagle. If you pay a dollar more for it and you buy ten of them, you just spend ten dollars you didn't have to spend. There is no reason to do that. It doesn't make any sense. It's the same thing. That's the point of silver and gold. It is a known quantity. That means you want to pay low prices, and you don't want anybody jerking you around, and you want to know that when you order something, it's going to show up. That's JM Bullion. This company is so awesome, I can personally speak to the president of the company. I have turned down companies like Lear Capital, just to be one example, who advertises every day on Fox News. Be a huge feather in the cap. Would it? We have Lear Capital as a spot. You know why? Because... Can I speak to your president or your CEO? Well, no. Okay, well then no. Jam Bullion, loyal to us, been with us six years, takes care of stuff, better pricing anyway, go there when you buy silver and gold, and, and get a discount if you're an MSB member on silver and gold. No one 
anywhere gives discounts on silver and gold with the margins those guys work on. We do it for you with their cooperation. Check them out today. I don't know how they do it. It's not a business I'd want to be in, but it's sure a commodity I want to be in too. Next up, the other precious metal at BulkAmmo.com. We call it Copper Jacketed Lead. Ammunition. I mean, have you ever thought about the fact that, like, there's a thing called the Bureau, the ATF, right? The Bureau of Alcohol, Tobacco, and Firearms. Have you ever wondered why those three ended up in the same thing? Outside of silver and gold, there's your barter. There's your barter currencies. Alcohol, tobacco, and firearms. You needed to get something done. Let's say you needed a cab in Moscow in the 1980s. You know, they're in the height of the Soviet Union. You know you could get a guy to pull over with a cab when no, when no one would pull over with a cab? A pack of Marlboro cigarettes. Now, they don't have gun freedom in Russia, so the, the ammo doesn't kind of get in there, does it? But those are the three things that have an intrinsic value because they're stable, they're storable, and they're generally valuable to anybody out there. And that means you should have them as part of your storage as well. I'm not saying so much ammo for, for, for money. I'm just pointing out the collateral value of it. Because, again... What is your gun? What is your gun, folks, when you don't have ammunition? It's either a high-priced barter item, if it's a good gun, or an overpriced club. It doesn't do what it's designed to do without ammo. You need to train with it. You need to have ammo for it. You need to stock up. BulkAmmo.com, place to do it. And discounts for members of the MSB as well. All right. Next up, let us take a look at the year in history. The year we are in this right now is the year 80. I have a segment today from David Verne, the inauguration of the Colosseum. The Colosseum is completed this year after 10 years of construction. After the natural disasters of 79 AD, the Romans are ready to relax, and Titus inaugurates the grand opening with 100 days of gladiatorial matches, animal hunts, and chariot races. A mock naval battle also took place, but historians are divided on whether this took place at the Colosseum or a nearby lake. Personally, this is just me here, I think it's probably more likely that it happened on a nearby lake. Just kind of make boats, yeah. Um, throughout history, this is my take by David Verne, throughout history, humanity has always loved a party, and it shouldn't have surprised me when I learned about George Washington's farewell party. His soldiers threw him a farewell party on September 15, 1787, two days before the Constitutional Convention ratified the Constitution. Fifty-four of his friends attended, including Ben Franklin, Alexander Hamilton, and Jane Madison. Their bar tab included 55 bottles of Madeira, 60 bottles of Claret, and 22 bottles of Porter, 12 bottles of beer, 8 bottles of hard cider, 8 bottles of whiskey, and 7 bowls of spiked punch that were, quote, large enough for ducks to swim around. The total came to $15,000 in today's money with extra 2% fee for damages. And you know what? That was probably the last time that members of this country had a great big party that were part of a government that paid for it themselves. That's all I'll say on that today because we're going to have a long show and I want to move on from there. With that, hey, do you get a lot of value out of this show? Do you think, like, I know more about the world. I know more about what's going on right now. I know more about the past. I know more about the impending future. My family's more prepared because I listen to Survival Podcast. I have a more complete knowledge of things because of this show. If so, consider supporting us at 18 cents an episode. Just If you think the show's worth a couple dimes an episode, consider supporting us. Just become a member of the Support Brigade, the MSB for short. Go to the Survival Podcast, click on the Members tab. You can sign up there. It's super easy to do. And then take the discounts that we give you, use them over the next year, do the math, and see why you should be a member for life. 
Because your membership, if you are buying the kind of stuff we talk about, and you just use your membership a few times a year, it will always at least pay for itself. If you're a silver stacker, the discounts of Jam Bullion may you know way more than pay for it. A couple of benefits alone there, pay for the membership for the whole first year. It's really a win-win proposition. That's why I put it together that way. I didn't want to be a... A charity case. I don't want to be like, hey, please support the show or I'm going to go out of business. I wanted to be able to give you guys a way to financially support us that made sense financially for you. And that's what the MSB is. But in the end, it does come down to how valuable do you think the content is. If it's worth 20 cents an episode, 18.3 to be exact, consider becoming a member. Anyway, with that, let's go ahead and get into the uh, main topic of today's show, which is all of these questions that came in in response to cryptocurrency. I'm going to lead off with some disclaimers, and then I'm going to set up a little bit of ground knowledge before we go through the questions. And the reason I'm going to do that is I am taking these questions in the order that they came in. I'm going to be pausing the recording in between them, and I'm going to be looking at them and, and, and answering them 99% on the fly. I may look up a fact or two or run a little bit of math here and there, but in general, I don't know what the questions are. And that means there's no structure or order to them. And I'm going to say this. If you ask a question... And I answer your question, and it's very much like your question. I'm probably going to skip it, okay? And I'm also probably going to do this. I expect that this show is going to create a massive wave of questions. I am probably going to do like a bonus episode or something like that without any, any of the intro, any of the production, just rolling through and making an audio recording and make that available. Maybe I'll do that for MSB. Maybe I'll make it publicly available, but it won't be an official episode, and it won't take away from having an episode that day, because I think this is going to be one of those things that gets really, really long if we uh, if we let it, and that way I could put it somewhere where if you want it, you know where to go get it. All right? Uh, another thing is, when, uh, when this show is uh, finished, it will probably be really long. When we did the quail one, some enterprising person went through and time-stamped all of the questions. If somebody wants to do that, I would be very grateful You know, maybe I'll I'll tell you what. Whoever signs up to do that first and does it for the show, I will send you $10 worth of Bitcoin or Litecoin your choice. How about that? That's only $10, bucks, but yeah, it's uh, it's crypto, which is what today's show is about. All right, so let's start out with a, a couple things I want to give you as kind of ground foundational knowledge. And I realize that some people don't even really know what cryptocurrency is. It's a thing, but you don't really understand what it is. Cryptocurrency is a method of creating electronic units. I'm going to try to keep this as simple as possible. That are immutable, they are uncounterfeitable, they are claimable, and they are fungible. And what that means is if one unit of some crypto, let's call it Jack Coin, is in my possession because I have the keys to it, okay, And I send a piece of it, let's say a half a jack coin, to Tom. And now Tom has a half of a jack coin. The system knows that Jack has half of that and Tom has the other half. And they now have their own coding. And they cannot be double spent or replicated. And this system is immutable, meaning when something happens, it's happened. And the way a lot of people say, well, it doesn't have any value. It's created out of thin air. It's actually not. All of these different currencies use hundreds, thousands, tens of thousands of computers operating all over the world. And those computers are not just there for mining. We think of mining as 
you know, digging out a new coin. So there's, there's, let's say there's 100 coins today and some kind of little micro cryptocurrency to keep numbers understandable. And today you're going to be able to have 10 more mined. And all those computers are trying to get those 10 more out. But what they're actually doing is verifying transactions and verifying validity. And they're, because they're all over the world and they're distributed and decentralized, and you have people running nodes in their house, and you have large data centers running nodes, which is just a place that basically keeps the ledger for all this, and all of them have to sync back to each other, it keeps everything honest. Now, if you think about that, that's actually an incredibly valuable thing, and the only way I can see that you could have ever gotten so many people to dedicate so many resources to do it is by rewarding them in return for doing it with a piece of the thing they're doing it with. That's what cryptocurrency really is. It's a system of accounting that is verifiable and trustworthy and yet can be very anonymous, completely public, or totally private. And there's a tremendous amount of computing power and electricity and resources that go into making sure that's the case. I don't know if those will come up in the subject of the questions, but I want to address this as well. I keep seeing hit pieces on Bitcoin and crypto in general. Oh, we're using more electricity than 11 nations in the world combined. It's bullshit. It's lies. People hate this thing because they don't understand it, and people hate what they don't understand. And the more successful it becomes, the more hit pieces will come out. Okay, It's not anywhere near that much energy, but it's a lot of energy. But how much energy do you think Visa uses to process transactions? And they do it from a centralized facility where they control everything and you get no say. How much energy do you think gold mining uses? From an, or an infographic I saw recently that seems to vet out, it would be about 500 times more than cryptocurrency does. Right? How much, how much energy do you think the Federal Reserve uses? How much energy do you think the banks use? If you want to be able to distribute a ledger system across the world, it takes energy. And that's what cryptocurrency did is understood that. Okay? So that's, that's what, and that's how it works. When I send you something, there's this huge string of characters that is the token or the fractional piece of the token. And because it's so long and so varied, you can have billions and billions and billions and billions and never have the same two twice. And once that one is in the ledger, or an address is in the ledger where that one exists, it can never be duplicated. And if you don't understand how that brings value, I, I think maybe your, your, your weakness is in not understanding cryptocurrency, it's understanding money. The, the number one way, think about it this way, the number one way that currencies have been damaged in the past is either been hyperinflation or counterfeiting. In the Revolutionary War, the United States had the Continental and it was a fiat currency. It was, you know, just basically printed by government, but it was controlled. And it became almost worthless during the war, but the way it became worthless wasn't that the system didn't work. It's that the British sat in ships off the coast printing Duplicates, counterfeits, and dump them into the economy. Which created not only lack of confidence, but also hyperinflation. Now, what all these computers do, and what, what any given currency having defined parameters, how many will be issued, when they will be issued, how they will be issued, the rules under which they issue, prevents counterfeiting, 
and hyperinflation. Unless you, you can design one to be inflationary. And there's some tokens and stuff that I think they made way too many of, but that's, that's the free market. We're going to focus mostly on cryptocurrency today rather than spun up tokens like Ripple, but we'll probably talk a little bit because we'll probably have to. So, with that, again, I know it's going to be a long show today, but if you want the best education I can provide on cryptocurrency, that's what I'm going to try to do. And then I'm going to say this. There's two different types of information I'll be giving today, and it's the same all the time. There's my opinion and my fact. I don't really mind having either challenge, but I don't like it when people tell me my opinion's wrong without supporting evidence. But I do love it when people provide me supporting evidence that what I've presented as a fact is wrong. I love that. So here's the difference. I think is an opinion. This is how this thing works as a fact. I am not a cryptocurrency expert. I've actually held back on doing this show for a long time because I felt like there are people that know so much more than me. What's made me have the confidence to do it is actually Facebook, and not just our group, but Facebook as a whole, and reading what people think and going, that's wrong, that's wrong, that's wrong, that's wrong, that's wrong, that's wrong. And when you start to do that for long enough, you start to realize, like, hey, I know a lot about this, and I probably don't need to be an expert to answer all of these basic things And the reason I know them is the one-piece-at-a-time method that we've talked about recently with how to educate yourself. Every time something comes up, I go and learn about that one thing. So I'm going to do my best. But my, my call-out is, if you think my opinions are wrong, please tell me. But more importantly, because my opinions are my opinions, and I'm entitled to my opinion and you're entitled to your if I get a fact wrong, please let me know. Because I did not go through and vet all of this stuff yet because I have not yet even read the questions. I'm going to do my best for you. So here we go. And do that in the comments, please, of the, the, the this show, because that'll make it all in one place. And if I'm going to do follow-up, I can include not only all the follow-up questions, but follow-up corrections in that kind of, we'll call it like a pirate episode, all right? So first question I have is from Jesse on Facebook. says, what the hell is Litecoin? Well, Litecoin has got a lot of people's attention today. And, man, I sat yesterday after talking about Litecoin on the show With Litecoin sitting under a hundred bucks, I'm sorry, under two hundred bucks, and thinking about the fact I just said it was under eighty bucks, and I was going to buy some, and I didn't, and I've got a pretty significant portion of cash in uh, in Coinbase, and I should just go ahead and buy Litecoin. And I wake up this morning and I check the balance of Litecoin uh, in one of my wallets, and it was it was really up. So I was like, holy crap, what had somebody send me a bunch of Litecoin? I went and checked the balance, and it was over $300, bucks, and right now it's sitting at $343. It got so out of hand today that, that uh, Coinbase started to have problems with their network and actually suspended the buying and selling of Litecoin and Ether, Ethereum as well. Uh, Ethereum has made a major run up to $625. Bucks. Uh, just kind of a side note there. So one of the things I want to drive home is like I know sometimes intrinsically I should do this, But I'm very conservative with my investments, and that's why I might hold back a little bit and saying, hey, go do this, right? Um, I sat there looking at this thing at 150 bucks yesterday morning going, should just dump five grand in this? Like that much money is what I was thinking about doing. Um, yeah, I mean, it would be about 12 grand right now. So they can make major money. What is Litecoin, though, is actually the question. Uh, Litecoin is basically a clone of Bitcoin. It is silver to Bitcoin's gold is how it was initially marketed when it came out. Bitcoin has started to attract attention and it got up into like, you know, really high price points like, you know, 
know, eight bucks or something like that. And so Litecoin came out as like the next thing. And some other cryptos had come out. It wasn't the second one, but it came out and it wasn't, we're trying to be a bigger, better Bitcoin at that time. It was, we're just like Bitcoin. We are a clone of Bitcoin. Not completely, but pretty much. Right, it's, you could have copied and pasted it and played with it. And over time, as we've seen things like scaling issues and transaction fees and speed with Bitcoin, a lot of the suggested fixes or tweaks to make Bitcoin better have been done by the Litecoin team. They're not as controlled. They're not as big. They have the ability to move a little faster. They've implemented some things like SegWit and Lightning that people want Bitcoin to, to do. And Litecoin is light and fast. How fast? I did a transaction moving some... Because here's my thing. I buy or sell, if I need fiat, on Coinbase. Once I have my currency from fiat dollars into crypto, it leaves Coinbase quickly. I'm not going to be stuck, not able to sell or buy because they close orders. I'm not going to have that money sitting there in a company that the IRS is nosing around. right? I want the money out of there. It is an exchange for the purpose of exchanging, and that's how all exchanges should be. As long as you can put your stuff in another wallet, get in a wallet that you control. But when I sent that transaction to my wallet, I was using the apps on my phone. So I opened the Coinbase app, and I said, actually I opened my Jack's wallet, copied the, my Litecoin address, went to Coinbase, said send Litecoin, dropped in the address, hit send, got the text with the confirmation, stuck the confirmation in, boom, you saw the little thing go, your transaction's underway, oh, opened up Jack's and the money was there. I mean, it took less time than it took me to switch back to the other app. Almost nothing else I'm, I've been working with recently is that quick, so it's fast. The big value that Litecoin offers is it's everything Bitcoin promises to be, but it works better. That doesn't mean it's worth more. It works better for now, under the current system, if you want to use it as money. Why I think it's making the huge run-up is what I'm going to, I'm going to, I don't know if anybody else has said this yet, but I'm going to call it the Coinbase effect. I think that once Coinbase adds a coin, it is going to increase in value a great deal. And the reason is, is more and more people find out about crypto and decide they want to get into it. I don't love Coinbase. But if you want to get dollars into Bitcoin and then Bitcoin into anything else, it is the easiest on-ramp there is. You sign up, you create an account, you buy. It's that simple. And the more verification you do, the easier it is to buy and the more you can buy. And that's why I've recommended Coinbase to people for years now. There's a banner on the website. You go click on it. You get over to Coinbase. You set up your account. You buy $100 worth of Bitcoin, and they give you 10 By the way, they give me 10 too. I am an affiliate. I don't apologize for that. I mean, that's you know, it's a good thing for me. Um, and it doesn't cost you anything. In fact, you get paid to set up your account. That's why I think it's awesome. Um. But Litecoin is a clone of Bitcoin, and its real value to me is when the Bitcoin Core team, and there's a, a group called Bitcoin Core, and it's the original Bitcoin uh, system, the blockchain and all of that. There's people that work, and it's open source, so anybody can work on it, but there has to be a lot, there's a lot of politics, I don't want to get into it, but anything they're thinking about doing with Bitcoin, 
it can be done in Litecoin, and Bitcoin people can look at it and go, does it work or not? Does it do it to one exclusion? It may look like it works really good, but will it work if Litecoin scales to the volume of Bitcoin? We can make some extrapolations of that, but we wouldn't be sure. There's been some talk that Amazon is going to start accepting Litecoin as payments, not Bitcoin. That's probably driven things, too. Some of that's complete fake, and some of it seems to be valid. But Litecoin is just a lighter, easier Bitcoin. I'm not to go faster. This will really get long. Uh, Mike says, hints or tips to start accepting crypto for a small business. Example, lawn service. Would Swarm City be the best, easiest option? Uh, no, not right now. Swarm City would not be the easiest option right now. Swarm City is a pain in the ass to do business on right now. They are promising to bring out their new thing that's going to make it easy, and you're going to be able to do hashtag this and hashtag that and build stores around it and all. And I love Swarm City's idea. Until they do it, it is a pain in the ass. It is as difficult to do business on Swarm City as it was to do business with Bitcoin eight years ago. The easiest thing for you to do is to be able to take as many cryptos as possible, but certainly the big ones, which would be, I'd say, Litecoin, Ethereum, and Bitcoin, and Dash. At least those, and as many as possible. And the only thing you need to do that is a good multi-currency wallet. I recommend the Jax wallet, okay? Um, it's at jax.io. You can install it on your phone, and you can tell people, hey, I take cryptocurrency. And you can basically hold up your phone with a send address, and they can scan it with their phone, and you have money, and you're done. No Coinbase, no government interference, no nothing. And the only thing you need to set up a Jax wallet is a computer or a cell phone or some device that can run Jax and an email address. That's it. Okay, and, and so that's the easiest way. Coinbase is set up to work where you can put a payment button on a website, and that's cool. Um, Stripe allows payments in Bitcoin, but you get fiat. There are some good software programs out there that let you take multiple cryptocurrencies. I'm not sure which one Vin Armani's using, uh, but his is pretty cool. It's like tons of stuff you can take. But I mean, when you're talking about like a lawn care business, you're talking about face-to-face -face business. So if you, I mean, all I would just say to your customers is, hey, do you do you have cryptocurrency or do you use cryptocurrency? Yeah. Would you be interested in paying for your service in cryptocurrency? Yeah. Okay. Well, it's, I don't know. I'll cut your grass this week. It's 35 bucks. Here, scan. Boom. Done. That's it. That's how easy it really is. It's not as hard as it seems. And this is one of the reasons I've said for a long time, you know, throw a couple hundred bucks in Bitcoin, move some stuff over to your Jax wallet, shapeshift a little bit here to some couple, couple different currencies, and learn how it works. You know, Do business amongst friends. Usually friends have to pay each other back a couple bucks here and a couple bucks there. Why not start extending in your friend groups and say, hey, let's all get Jax. Let's all charge our shit up with a couple hundred bucks, and whenever we have to pick up the tab or whatever, let's 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 pay each other with cryptocurrency. Learn how it works. It's it's not. I mean, people are like, we need to make it as easy as PayPal. In some ways, if you're face to face, it's easier. It really is, and it is very very private when you do it that way. Now, if you're doing certain currencies like Bitcoin is a public blockchain, people can see addresses and what happened and where it went, but it doesn't say Tom. On it. it doesn't say Mike got $35 worth of Bitcoin from Tom. It says here's two random crazy-ass addresses and some money passed between them. 
I'm going to save some stuff on Jax for later because there's more, I'm sure, privacy ones. And here we go. John says, is it possible for a newbie to make an anonymous wallet and how? Okay. Jax is fairly anonymous because you can use a email of any kind you want. However, I would say it's important that you retain access to that email account for various reasons. Um, but all you need is an email account. And you can create... Wallets for every cryptocurrency has a wallet that you can download on your computer, and you don't need anything to be able to do that. It takes a little bit of knowledge, though, to be able to do it and be confident about it and comfortable. You can set up a paper wallet. You can set up an online wallet. And what I would do is whatever currency you want to set up a wallet for, how to set up a wallet for, fill in the blank on Google, and then follow instructions. And when you're playing with this, is another reason. Get a hundred bucks worth. Stick it in your jack's wallet. Stop worrying about trying to be filthy rich off of this overnight because it ain't going to happen. Right? But then when you create a wallet for, let's say, another currency, let's say you decide um, you want to play with, with Augur which is an anonymous cryptocurrency, and you create an Augur wallet, well, then you can go into your Jax thing, you can hit Shapeshift, and you can take $10 worth of Bitcoin and switch it into Augur, and then you can take that and you can push it over to your Augur wallet, and you're going to pay some little bits of transaction fees in this, okay? It's all right. It's not a lot of money. And then once you do that, and if you want to pay less transaction fees, buy Litecoin to do this with. Okay. Once you send it to that Augur wallet, you can make sure it's there and then send it back. It, it's not like it's, it's a huge risk to do that. Don't go out and set up some kind of wallet that you've never set up before and go throwing $5,000 worth of crypto around in it. Verify how everything works. Put it in there. Destroy it. Get your recovery seed and bring it back to life. Couple bucks, five bucks, ten bucks, that's all you need. You can do it with a dollar's worth. You know, I mean, that's, that's the way to learn this stuff. But your wallets are generally anonymous anyway. They don't say your name. The problem isn't the wallet, it's the service that's providing the wallet. So Coinbase is this big target on it. They touch dollars. I think that's what we only understand. That's why Coinbase has the government looking at it. You can go in with your once you get fully verified, you can go in with your visa and you can buy twenty thousand dollars worth of Bitcoin and send it anywhere in the world you want. You can send twenty thousand dollars worth of Bitcoin to your Coinbase account and convert it to dollars. For people who want to trade back and forth out of fiat, as long as they're willing to pay taxes on it, because you're gonna sooner or later, um, and you might pay it the hard way if you hide it, um, it's the best, easiest option. For people who want to trade currency to currency, there's plenty of other options that have a lot of anonymity. I mean, you could shapeshift your ass off inside of Jax. It's like a whole mini exchange. But they don't have a currency that's really stable to the dollar like Tether. That's not in the thing, but I'm going to talk about Tether for a second. I've had some people get really freaked out that I mentioned Tether. It's been hacked. It's been hacked. Bitfinex exchange has been hacked through and taken Tether out of that exchange. I have not heard of a place like Bittrex having any problems with any Tether mix missing from there. And if you're using something like a Tether, it should be a short-term thing. I want to come out of this currency. I want to go into U.S. dollars, but I don't want to go into fiat, and I don't want to do it publicly on, on a thing like Facebook or uh, Coinbase, which is much more secure, by the way. 
And then I want to wait till I decide what I'm going to go back into, and I don't want fluctuations in the meantime. That, that, that's one way you can do that. But it's not the wallet that's not anonymous. It's the place the wallet exists. So at Coinbase, your wallet exists at Coinbase. It's attached to your account records. Where if you set up, you know, an account with some place like Minergate, you know, and you're mining your own currency, well, that's going to something that's just, there's no nothing. And it all varies, like how much anonymity do you want. But yes, you can set up an online wallet for Bitcoin or Litecoin, Just go how to t how to set up a, a Bitcoin wallet or how to set up a Litecoin wallet. You go right on and make one in like 10 seconds. Go make one. Put a dollar in it and see see how to get it back out. Learn all the different ways. Best thing you can do. I can't explain it on the air. Uh, it's too complicated. It's boring if I try to explain it on air. Uh, where and how can we find out about the process of storing crypto, i.e. the wallet? I just kind of did that, so I'm going to start pausing Uh, how to do it anonymously from Christopher. We, we just talked about some of that, but, but here's the thing. When you do something like send a Bitcoin out of Coinbase, if they ever go in and look at your account information, let's say that you're part of some kind of a release to the IRS, then they can say, well, that went to this address, and that went to this address, and that went to this address. But in, unless it goes back to another exchange that goes back into dollars somewhere like Kraken, which is another exchange, They can't really say whether or not you still own it or not. Because there's nobody, unless they found an address and tracked it back to somebody else, and that person said, Yeah, he paid me for this. It's not easy. It's, that's why they're going, that's why the IRS is going after Coinbase. Let's hold on a second. I'll cover that because that will, I'm sure, show up and I can skip it then, and this is a good time to do it. So, what the IRS has done, every Coinbase customer said, Shut up, read the, this thing. It affects people that had accounts in 2014 and 2015 and bought and or sold more than $20,000 worth of cryptocurrency in a single calendar year. Note, that doesn't mean had. So that person bought $10,000, didn't sell any, and $10,000 became $30,000, but they didn't sell it. They don't follow under that court order. But the IRS knows that this is the place that people are making profits easy, in and out of cash, in and out of cash. They want to go in and do that. My concern is when they get people, and they will, it will give justification for them to get more released from Coinbase. And if Coinbase is smart, they're going to come out with a reporting mechanism going forward to protect people in the past. And they'll probably make nice if Coinbase does that. We'll see if they do. They don't do a lot of stuff smart. Okay. But as far as keeping it anonymous... How anonymous do you want it? If you move into something like Zcash or Monero, it's anonymous. After that, there's no. you can use Dash with something called coin mixing. That's anonymous. But if you set up a Bitcoin wallet or you set up a Jack's wallet and somebody pays you in Bitcoin, they could go figure out maybe at some point where that all started and trace it through the blockchain. But there's nothing, again, with your name on it that says it's you. Another interesting feature of the Jax wallet, by the way, and that I'm talking about Jax the most, because I think it's the best because I'm most familiar with it. It's what I use personally. Every time you receive currency, it gives you a new address. The old one still works. But instead of having 20 transactions that go to one address... You have 20 transactions, go to 20 addresses. I mean, trying to figure this out is, is, is at best extremely complicated and at worst impossible because the government doesn't work from a standpoint of we're going to go get Tom. 
or we're going to go get Frank. They work from a sweeping mentality. That's why they want to go into something like Coinbase. It's low-hanging fruit. They're going to be able to go in, and out of those like 14,000 records I think they got, they're going to find people that flat out, you bought Bitcoin, you bought $10,000 worth of Bitcoin in 2014, Mr. Smith, and you have transactions totaling selling $50,000 worth of Bitcoin. They're not going through finding addresses. They're going to look at Coinbase's account records and say, you have $40,000 worth of capital gains. And they won't even do that. What they'll do is they'll say, you sold $50,000 worth of Bitcoin. Where's, where's the tax on it? You owe us. They'll send you, they probably won't even audit. They'll send them a letter. You owe us this much taxes, fees, and penalties. And one of the reasons they go all the way back to 2014 is it's had time to add up. They don't need a wallet address for that. They don't know what the hell they're doing with that. When you start dealing with individual-to-individual transactions, even something like Bitcoin is all but anonymous anyway. It's that activity where fiat and Bitcoin interface and you have an account with a know-your-customer type of thing where they have your, you know, your social security number, like a bank account. But plenty of money goes around between bank accounts that they don't find either. Now, I'm thinking if you're doing business in Coinbase and you have a capital gain in Coinbase, you should report it and you should pay it because it can really hurt you later. And all the profit that you've made since then can all be wiped out in one letter from the IRS. And you don't want that. And by the way, when you sell it to pay the debt, then they'll say you made money again and they want that too. And you won't have it. So don't jack around with these guys on stuff like that. But individual, small business is small business, person to person, it pretty much is anonymous. And if you really want it to be anonymous... Use currencies like Dash and Monero and things like that, and you won't have a problem. The next one, how do we safeguard, this is from JD, how do we safeguard against another Mt. Gox-type theft? Well, number one, there hasn't been one that's anywhere near like that since Mt. Gox. Uh, exchanges have learned a lot about securing funds. What's happened since then are things like the Bitfinex uh, hack with a Tether extraction, right? So Tether is a coin, just to be clear. But that was limited to a single exchange and a single currency, and that's more of what's happened. There's been hacks into some of the Ethereum multi-signature uh, wallets uh, and things like that, but there hasn't been you know, a complete takedown of an exchange. But here's the rule. Don't keep your freaking money in an exchange. Why would you? Why? And unless you're a high-frequency trader, and then you know more than me, And then you're going to mitigate your risks anyway with how much you keep on the exchange. But let's say that I decided today that I wanted to buy some Eon coin, A-E-O-N, Eon coin. And I wanted to buy that on Bittrex. Well, the smart thing for me to do would be to, if I don't have any Bitcoin sitting on Bittrex, I might keep, you know, I might keep $500,000 bucks there because it's a mitigated risk. Right? If all you have is a thousand bucks, don't keep any of it there. If you only have like a thousand bucks in cryptocurrency, get a Jack's wallet and work with what's there. There's plenty to learn. And play with your paper wallets, your hardware wallets, or whatever you're going to do to learn so you feel comfortable. Okay? But what the thing would be to do would be to say, okay, I'm going to open up Jack's and uh, since I can buy with either Ethereum or Bitcoin, I'm either going to send some Bitcoin or I'm going to shift something to Bitcoin in Jack's. I'm going to pop it over to Bittrex. I'm going to buy my Eon. Once the order is complete, I'll move it to an Eon wallet. I don't know of a multi-signature or multi-currency wallet that takes Eon, so you have to create your own separate one, but you would move it there. You see? 
And then it's not on the exchange. So if the exchange goes down, you don't care. You have to go down in the middle of your transaction. So the biggest thing you do is just don't store your money on exchanges. And most people that are involved with cryptocurrency know that at this point. Like, Mt. Gox sucked because so many people just started considering Mt. Gox their, their source of keeping a wallet. And, you know, it had some weaknesses, and, and, you know, people learn from those. Chris says, other than being a pure currency, how is it being used? Smart contracts and understanding potential use case. We understand how we can use and profitable it can be later. Um, most of the stuff like start, smart contracts and all are being done in the, the Ethereum world and being done with tokens based on Ethereum. In the big, so there's really two, there are cryptocurrencies that are completely rolled from home, so to speak. But in the world of cryptocurrency, the majority of cryptocurrencies are either some sort of a Bitcoin fork, soft, hard, cut and paste, or otherwise, but they're like Bitcoin, or they're built off of the Ethereum platform. And most of the people doing like ICOs and token sales are doing it off Ethereum because it's very easy. You don't need a lot of coding work to do things like that. Basically, you can just roll out a token. tomorrow. I could do it tomorrow if I wanted to. Um, it wouldn't be really a good one because I don't know how to modify it and make it do all the things I want, but it's really easy. Like 24 hours of studying YouTube videos, you could be rolling your own Ethereum tokens. I don't know if it'd be worth anything, but you can do anything. You can make them mineable. You can make them issue at a certain time. You can do whatever you want. And, and, and most of like the banks, the medical industry, all of the things that are getting involved with smart contracts. And let's talk about a little bit of what a smart contract is. It's simply a thing that's able to be verified was done on both sides and then execute a command. So you've agreed to do this, I've agreed to do that, our systems talk to each other, it's been verified that those things have occurred, and now an exchange of that token is made. Is one way to look at it. That could be for monetary reasons, it can be for information exchange, it can be for anything. I don't really know how to write up smart contracts, and this is a place where I would admit my weakness and say if somebody wants to explain this better, please do show in the show notes. I'll include it in the follow-up video, but be concise and keep it under two paragraphs, all right, so that it's just a basic explanation. Um, but the, the big thing that we see with things like Bitcoin right now, in addition to being a currency, is a store of value. And that store of value goes back to the brilliance of limiting the quantity or digital scarcity. And, but it's also linked to popularity and confidence. Litecoin is exactly like Bitcoin and does some things better, but yet Litecoin is trading for a few hundred bucks and Bitcoin's trading for the last time I looked like 17 grand. As of right now, $17,700 on Coinbase's uh, live pricing. Why? Because it was first. And because it has a scarcity that no other cryptocurrency will ever have unless it's a false-made um, scarcity. There's, there's quite a few things behind Bitcoin scarcity. So there's, there's, there's going to be 21 million Bitcoins in, in total, ever. Assuming that you know Bitcoin lasts for 150 years. So that right there, boom, you, you, you can't have more. Next, there's been a certain amount mined, and there's less mined every year to where it's like in the single digits in the last couple of years. All right? And you can't, because of what I said earlier, you can't change that. You can't just make more Bitcoin. You can make another currency. You could be like Ripple and make billions of little Ripple tokens or whatever you want, but you can't make another Bitcoin. The other thing that is really created scarcity is because Bitcoin was first, 
And there were all kinds of people back when you could take just a shitty laptop and mine Bitcoin that mined, you know, a couple hundred Bitcoin or a couple thousand Bitcoin. And then they didn't do anything. It was like a geek thing to play with. And they didn't do anything with it. And that computer's lost or gone. Destroyed. Crashed. And they threw it away because it wasn't, it was an old computer. I know they forgot about it. So there's literally millions that are lost. They're gone. They're irrecoverable. If somebody can shit a seed, which is you know, a 24-word phrase that's random, and figure it out, then maybe they can be recovered. But it ain't going to happen. So that's gone. So now we take, of the, let's say, 15 million that have been mined, or I think it's 13 million that have been mined, 3 million, maybe 4 million are gone. Then there's up to close to another maybe million, because of people playing with it, not understanding it, that are stranded. There's such small amounts that they really aren't movable, just there. But the majority, the vast majority of Bitcoin, since it's observable on a public blockchain, are sitting in addresses and hasn't moved at all for years. They're first movers. They have confidence in the currency. Many of them bought the coin at a dollar or 50 cents or five bucks, and they're not selling They're not selling, they're not selling, they're not selling. And if Bitcoin runs up by the end of the year, 25 grand, and then quote-unquote crashes to like 15 grand, they don't care. So all of those Bitcoins, until the price gets so astronomical that they'll sell a few, are not available. So there's actually a very small amount of these things that are available that are also Bitcoin. Which, it, I know it's just like, well, it's just what they call it. But the U.S. dollar just is the U.S. dollar because we called it that. It's the, the Bitcoin is less fiat than the United States dollar is. It's not backed by debt. Every dollar equals IOU plus interest. Every Bitcoin it, it equals an immutable code on a blockchain somewhere that can't be counterfeited and always can be verified as to where it went and how it got there. So we know, we have things that we know about Bitcoin that we don't know about any other cryptocurrency. And the core team's conservative. All these things that they say Bitcoin needs to do and they won't do, it's not all political infighting. Some of it's just like, do we really need to do this? We're the biggest, we're the best, we have the highest market cap. You know, we, we, we are the, 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 the global reserve of, of cryptocurrency. Our, our market cap is now higher than the, the, the J.P. Morgan. Should we willy-nilly change? And that confidence has been rewarded with people being comfortable with it. It's also that whenever somebody learns about cryptocurrency, they think Bitcoin is cryptocurrency. So the first thing they try to buy is Bitcoin. Again, competing for that scarcity. And frankly, it works. And it's got a track record of working. So it's become digital gold. And I, I think that you could invest money in Bitcoin today, and in two years you're not going to be angry at me. I, that, that's my opinion, and I don't pretend to know that 100%. But in this run-up, I've sold none. I've converted none. I've taken some of my altcoins, which are your anything but Bitcoin, that have done really well, and I've brought them back to Bitcoin, even in this run-up. I have looked for the dips into the 14s, but now dips are in 14s. A couple of weeks ago, I was telling you, I think $10,000 is a floor. And now the experts, and I'm air quoting, but I'm also not, I'm not defaming them. People with a good track record of calling what real Bitcoiners are calling 14 the new floor. 
when I was calling it 10 three weeks ago, two weeks ago. So that's that's its big thing right now. It's a store of value. As a currency, all of them work. It is going to be it is not going to be a currency that becomes so easy to use and accepted that the currency is what makes it work like money. It is going to be an application that enables currency and that application if it's great will enable multiple currencies to be used that simply. But what you see is the companies all working to do it are all working to do it for their currency, which I don't blame them. I don't blame them. Um, so th that's kind of where we are on that. Um, Mike says, I'd like to explore ways to move away from Coinbase as a mean of exchanging crypto to fiat and back. There's not a good one. Not in any quantity. Kraken, but it's a UK company, and it's, it's, it's really a pain in the ass to do business with as a U.S. citizen, in my understanding. I could be wrong about that. I haven't done business with them. I kind of farted around with it, but getting your limits raised and stuff. Um, but they're going to report, too. They're going to report, too. Um, the best thing I know to do if you want stability of the dollar until somebody shows me a, a, a thing that works better, and the, I do have some concerns about some hacks that have happened with it, is Tether. Um, and something like Bitrix. Bitfinex, again, is the exchange that has had the hacks with Tether. And, and Bitfinex has had other problems. I don't do business there. Look, start learning about different exchanges. Look at their track record. Have they been hacked? How secure are they? What do they require for verification? And, 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 and look into that. But I don't know of a good way to go to fiat other than Coinbase that is as quick, as fast, reliable, and secure. And I think if you're if you're going, there's there's arguments for and against. If I go from Dash to Monero, and Monero has created a you know it has created a gain for me based on Monero's price and what everything about Dash, is that taxable? There's a lot of debate about that. Is it like for like? In which case, it wasn't wouldn't be. The IRS sort of says it isn't, but they haven't issued clear guidance. But there is no doubt what the IRS says about when you go from crypto to to fiat. It's capital gain or capital loss. If you're going to do that, pay the taxes anyway. The reason to move away from Coinbase with it is because they, they, they have problems and they shut down exchanges. They, so like today, like I said, they suspended Litecoin for a while. And uh, I think they've removed. Let me take a look real quick. I think by now they've stopped the suspension. No, Ethereum buys and sells temporarily disabled. So right now, if you want to sell Ethereum on Coinbase, you can't. But what could you do? It might take a while to get there when it's clogged up like this, but you can send it. And when you get it to wherever you are, you can exchange it into something else. Um, but I'm not big on the fiat back and forth. I've done that once in all of this. And, and, and even though it worked out good in the long run, it was a mistake. I would have been better off not going into fiat. But there is something about the stability there, isn't there? Um, and it makes finding that next opportunity a little bit easier to do, but... If you know, this is one of those things. If you know a uh, better way to do it, let me know. Now, small amounts, the best way to exchange your cryptocurrency into fiat is to spread the, the, the concept among friends and family. And when somebody says, well, I want to buy $100 worth of uh, Bitcoin, well, I'll sell you $100 worth of Bitcoin. Give me a $100 bill, and I'll send it from my Jack's wallet to your Jack's wallet. Look, I'll show you how to install it. Boom, beep, there you go. There you go. It's only uh, $99. That's your fee. Yeah, whatever. That's that, that's the easiest way, but you can't do that with large volumes. And if you do it with large volumes, 
they will come after you if they can find you for money laundering. And I don't want to go down that road, but there's a, you know, that's when you hear like the guy was busted for Bitcoin in Chicago, or he did like $50,000 worth of cash transactions. They got him for money laundering, whether he was or wasn't. But, you know, small amounts to fiat, you know, you go purse to person, and it's pretty damn anonymous that way. Oh, let's see. Oh, <laughs> Um, can Bitcoin get past its high fees and long transaction times that put a lot of people off into buying into it? If not, whether coins have the best potential for filling the role, uh, using to buy a cup of coffee. Okay, first of all, no one right now is really screaming about the need to buy a cup of coffee with Bitcoin. No one. If you want to buy a cup of coffee with Bitcoin right now, the way that you do that is off-chain solutions like the shift card from Coinbase. And there's other credit card type things that work that way. And you pay no fees at all. And it's an instant transaction through a Visa network, and it's done. It just takes the amount of Bitcoin out of your account. Boom. Coinbase makes money off of Visa as a merchant for the fees through their network. And they pay a single, so what they do is they balance out all these transactions and do, you know, a couple big giant moves of Bitcoin a day. And that's less than the visa fees, so they charge you no fee. So there's already, since there's already solutions to all these problems. The next, let's talk about the myth of huge fees, long wait times. Um, about a week ago, I think it was December 4th, so we're high eight days ago. Uh, I looked at my Coinbase account, and I said, Jack, you're not following your own advice. There's about $2,000 worth of Bitcoin in there. There's about $2,000 worth of Litecoin in there. Don't sell it. Don't trade it, but get it the hell out of Coinbase and get it into one of your wallets. Fine. So I sent the Litecoin. That was the transaction I talked about. At today's Litecoin price, it cost me $0.35, cents, so it was probably more like $0.15 cents on the day that I did it. And it was instant. And it was, it was okay, that's a low fee. But what was the horrific wait time for my Bitcoin transaction? While this deal, price volatility is going everywhere and the, the whole blockchain's tied up and I'm coming out of Coinbase, which is some of the highest fees you'll pay moving Bitcoin around. And how long did I wait? I waited about 30 minutes. And my fee, if we priced it at Bitcoin's price today, is five bucks. So it was probably about three ish, maybe into the twos. Call it three dollars. $3 on a $2,000 transaction in a 30-minute wait time? Where is this horrific, awful, long wait time, giant fee cost that everybody's talking about? It's bullshit. It's the extreme examples. Somebody wanted to do it really fast, they paid for priority, and they bought a really low-priced item with a Bitcoin. And I think some of those people do it just so they can post a screenshot. And then we hear the bleeding heart shit on the podcasts about this stuff that I just find to be obnoxious. But what about the poor people in other countries that are using this as a way to have a bank and they can't afford it? Oh, bullshit. There are so many options in the cryptocurrency world. Each of them, is go each of them that succeeds is going to do something better than the others. And what Bitcoin does right now is provide stability, confidence, and track record better than anything else. It is not the best for buying and selling, but it does work, and this myth of these giant fees and giant wait times is a myth. 
And I believe it's being done because everybody's jockeying to be the next Bitcoin. And some of these companies that have put out these altcoins are pretty good by that. You do have to understand that the people behind them set it up so like when they issued that coin, they have like 10,000 of them or 100,000 of them. And if their coin goes up to 50 bucks, they're multimillionaires or billionaires. Okay? And there might be an incentive for them to bullshit a little bit. Even if they don't want to win in the long term, just in the short term. And that's what's going on here. If you get your Jack's wallet, I, I'm going to look at, I'm going to pause a second so I, so I say this exactly how to do it so you can see it if you're using Jack's already. So what you're going to do is you go into Jack's and you'll see um, like a little, three little hash marks up in the uh, right hand co corner of the app. You click that and that'll bring out three options menu, wallet, and currency. You're going to go down in menu, which will be the default one. It says tool settings. You click on settings. In, in tool settings, you'll see set up security pin, reset Jax cash, and Bitcoin mining fee. You click on Bitcoin mining fee. And you have the following options. Fast, pricey fees, average normal fees, slow, cheap fees. And they say we do not recommend to choose slow mining fee. Guess which one I picked? Average. Average. And my fees when I send Bitcoin out of Jacks are lower than they are when they come out of Coinbase. And again, we're back to I paid $3 on a $2,000 transaction. Now, when we hear that Bitcoin can't scale because this is too expensive and, oh, my God, this is, let's examine what a $3 fee is on a $2,000 transaction. Um, guys, it's, it's, it's pretty low. It is uh, 0.1%. It's 0.1%. What's, what's the Visa standard fee? What does Visa charge merchants for a standard fee on Visa cards? The answer is $1.51 plus 10% of the current Visa interchange fee. 1.51% to be exact, and, and a dime on every transaction. And that's, that number changes. Let's throw the dime away, and let's run the numbers of what it would have cost a merchant to process a $2,000 transaction uh, with Visa. The answer is 30 bucks. And you'll say, well, as a consumer, I don't pay that. The hell you don't. The hell you don't. You don't think that's built into a pricing structure that people don't understand that they do business in credit cards? Good Lord. So it's, it's, it's a fraction of what it is for, um, for Visa on a transaction at $2,000. Now, might it be higher if we go to lower price transactions? Sure. But again, why are you trying to buy a pack of bubble gum and a coffee with straight Bitcoin? Why, why would you do such a thing? It doesn't even make any sense. Um, and I believe other currencies will do a better job of that unless Bitcoin Core, and that's, let's think of that as the Bitcoin team, decides that they really want the wherewithal to make Bitcoin buy bubble gum. And if they want to, there's no reason they can't. There's no reason, but I don't think that's the purpose of Bitcoin anymore. But this this mythology is just I'm I'm tired of it. I'm tired of it. I'm bored with it. It's people that don't know how to work a wallet, or they do know how to work a wallet, and they're cre they're they're picking the busiest time on the blockchain to do something stupid like spend five dollars worth of Bitcoin and purposefully asking for priority so they can say, look, I paid twenty dollars on a hundred dollar transaction. What about the poor people in Thailand that need to send this to their family and they can't because it's too high? Is bullshit. Uh, do planned. Uh, Bitcoin forks reduce Bitcoin's future potential value more than the Bit 
Bitcoin, uh, Bitcoin Cash Fork did, or is this a good thing? Okay, so for those that are new to this, you can do what's called forking a coin. And when it's a true fork, and we get into soft and hard, but just when it's a true fork, what happens is if you had 10 Bitcoins when the Bitcoin Cash Fork happened, assuming you were in a place that supported the fork or you had control of your own private keys, the day that occurred and went through, you still had your 10 Bitcoins and you had 10 Bitcoin Cash. And Bitcoin Cash right now, I think it's like 1500 bucks, 1590 bucks. And Bitcoin Cash is supposed to fix this horrible, horrible problem. And it is low fees, very low, almost non-existent, so low you wouldn't even think about them. And it is fast for now, okay? Um, and it is Bitcoin with these tweaks and fixes with a different team working on it, not the core team. So is are these forks good or bad for Bitcoin? Well, if one of these forks creates a coin that develops consensus, meaning that the miners all, but everything goes, and it becomes the new Bitcoin, it's just the new Bitcoin. If it goes off on its own as an altcoin, like Litecoin, and it gets developed to the point where people start using it and buying it and preferring it to Bitcoin, well, then that's bad for Bitcoin because it is a competition. However, if you just want to look at it from a standpoint of what is better from a concept of fees and speed, there's already dozens and dozens of cryptos that are better than Bitcoin for it. Why won't people come away? Confidence, scarcity, track record, function, it works. Do the other ones work? Yeah. Do they work as good? Well, how do you, how do you judge that? I actually think forks are good for Bitcoin. I love forks. I get free money. I get free money. And the, the, you might see, like there was recently a, a fork of the, I think Bitcoin Gold had a fork, but it didn't work the same way where all of a sudden like you have two really valuable things. Like when the Bitcoin Cash fork happened, like right away, Bitcoin Cash was like 600 bucks. So like when they fork a fork, one becomes the new thing, the new dominant player goes on, the other one just kind of languishes. Unless somebody picks it up and keeps working with it, and it doesn't really retain a tremendous amount of value because we're, they're doing it just to improve because that's what they think Bitcoin should do. So what does it mean to me as a Bitcoin holder if once or twice a year one of these forks happens and ends up creating an altcoin that's worth, I don't know, 50 bucks? It's a dividend. Why would I keep holding Bitcoin at this point? And if one of these new ones takes over, whatever amount of Bitcoin I have, I have that too. You want to know what I did with Bitcoin Cash? I'll tell you what I do with Bitcoin Cash. When that fork happened, I knew there'd be a lot of ribbon and row about it, and it went way up, and I converted it to Bitcoin when it went way up. And when it went back down, I went back to the same position and the same quantity of coins that I had in Bitcoin Cash when the fork happened, left the balance in Bitcoin, and now I have both. And if Bitcoin Cash, well, what happens if Bitcoin Cash takes over? Great! I have that too! So as a Bitcoin holder, as long as you always maintain control of your private keys, any fork that occurs is good for you because you get a dividend if it, if it, if it, you know, even Bitcoin gold is worth a few hundred bucks a coin, like 200 bucks or something like that. $271. So let's say you were holding 10 Bitcoins when the Bitcoin gold split happened. Well, you have $2,700 worth of Bitcoin gold right now, but 
you also have about $177,000 worth of Bitcoin. So how I don't fear forks. And I think that if people get more educated and learn what forks do, they'll be hoping for at least one good fork a year, a good forking. Because if you win, you win. And if you lose, you win. So the only thing that forking can do is create altcoins or create the new de facto Bitcoin. That's, that's all that it could do. Now, they all will fight for market capitalization against each other. But if you always maintain control of your private keys, and you don't if you're in Coinbase, however, they are going to support, by January, the Bitcoin cash fork. So if you had five Bitcoins in Coinbase, and you didn't move it out of there to control your own private key, and you missed your Bitcoin cash, according to Bit, uh, Coinbase, you'll get your five Bitcoin cash in January. But they're not going to support the Bitcoin gold fork. So if you sat in, in Coinbase during the Bitcoin gold fork, you know if you had five Bitcoins, there's $1,500 you don't have. So as people learn that, what's going to happen, I think you're going to see people like, because all you had to do, if you didn't want to do jacks and you didn't want to move your own shit around or whatever, if you would have just, because they said they were going to do Bitrix, if you were willing to risk your Bitcoin in an exchange and sit there for 48 hours, all you had to do is transfer your Bitcoin to Bitrix, wait for the fork, transfer your Bitcoin back to wherever it was, there's your Bitcoin gold sitting in Bitrix. You want Bitcoin for it? Sell. You want to hold it? Move it to a wallet. I, 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 I don't know. When I hear all this, this fear of forking, I'm like, so far the forks have worked out really great. I hope for not, I don't want a hundred a year because then they won't work anymore. But if one really good idea can fork out a year and pay me a dividend to hold Bitcoin that's also appreciating, okay. And if it becomes the new Bitcoin, I have that too. If Bitcoin plummets down to 10 grand and this, or, a thousand or five hundred bucks, and this new thing goes up to ten thousand, two hundred, whatever, two hundred thousand dollars, whatever it does, it doesn't matter to you as a holder. Just my thoughts. Now that's all opinion, but it's also backed with some pretty good facts. More on the IRS things. Will the new threshold for reporting IRS going forward after Coinbase 20K ruling in 2013-2015, would a deposit and a crypto purchase be counted double? Translation, $10,000 US dollars to Coinbase, purchase $10,000 worth of Bitcoin equals 20K. Um, I don't know. I don't. That's not how the current one worked. It was buy or sell. So if you put $10,000 in it, you haven't bought anything yet. It's just a banking transaction. When you buy the Bitcoin with the $10,000, then it becomes a buy. And when you sold it, let's say you sold it back, then it would become $20,000. But they're not reporting requirements. It's not like from now on, Coinbase has to report every customer that has more than $20,000 worth of transactions. It's 2013, 2015, $20,000 in total transactions, buying and selling of cryptocurrency. That's what it is. If they want 2016's data, they're going to have to go back and ask for it again. And now they've kind of said it. So now, what they've kind of done is Coinbase is probably not going to tell them no if they ask for the exact same thing that the, the court already said they were entitled to. So then the IRS doesn't have to go through court shit again. So if they come back and say, you know, we want it for 2016 now, Coinbase will probably capitulate pretty easily because they know if they go back to court, they're going to lose it again. If the IRS wants more, they either need a law from Congress signed by the president or they got to go back to court. 
if they want 2016's data and Coinbase says no, they got to go back to court. Now, it will be an easier layup for them because they'll go in and say, look at what we found. We told you this was going on. And it may make it easier for them to lower that threshold. I don't know. Again, if you're doing anything in the world of fiat, you should be doing it anyway. But in the world of fiat, you need to make sure you keep records, what your average cost of purchase is, so you can declare a basis and pay a tax on it. The other thing I think that people need to realize, though, if you make under like $100,000 a year, and unless you have some major crypto thing going on with Coinbase or something like that, your odds of being audited for anything are just low, like less than 1%. The more money you make, the more likely you are to be audited, and the most likely to be audited class of people in the world are small mom-and-pop businesses that do about $2 million in revenue. Because you, you make enough money to be worth going after, but you don't have enough resources to fight. If I go after General Electric, they got an army of lawyers. They're paying them whether they, they, they work against me or not. They're just there. But if I go up to Ma and Pa that run a parts business that do $2.5 million a year in sales and have six employees, every minute that I have, they're key employees in their own business, every minute that I have them in front of me with a lawyer, it's, a, it's costing them money in multiple ways. So they're much more likely to fold. That's that's the parasite that the IRS is. It's 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 really sad. But pay pay your taxes on capital gains. It's money you made. You, you know, here's the thing I get get like, why are we having this discussion? Because I look at it this way: most of you have jobs. You pay income tax on your job income. You don't like it. You wish you paid less. You get your accountant to do the best they can with mitigating it. But you're not like, well, since they're going to charge me taxes, I'm not going to go to work. If I said, I'm going to mail you a check for $50,000 right now, but I'm going to have to report it to the IRS, and you're going to have to pay tax on it, you wouldn't say, Jack, don't send me the check. You'd bitch when you pay that. You'd be like, Jack Freely of his own accord gave me $50,000. This is ridiculous that I have to pay taxes on it. But you'd be happy for the thirty-five or forty you got to keep that you didn't have otherwise, wouldn't you? So, I mean, I just think this whole idea that we're going to avoid taxes as the, the meaning or the purpose of cryptocurrency is actually foolish. The, the smartest thing the IRS could do is this. Acknowledge reality. Cryptocurrency is currency. It's, it's currency. And that would make things much easier because it would be trading that's taxed. It would not be spending and buying that's taxed. What I mean by that, let's say I go to Canada. And let's say I buy a bunch of Canadian dollars when I get to Canada. And when I come back to the United States, I even, I, 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 I don't sell them. I have some extra, I have $10,000 of the Canadian dollars. And let's say something happens where the Canadian dollar goes up 20% against the dollar. And I say, shit, I should spend these Canadian dollars. I don't pay tax on that 20% gain. If I'm forex trading, where I buy Canadian dollars and sell them back to the U.S. and back and forth, that's taxable. Now, I'm not for taxation. You guys know me. I prefer there's none. But that makes sense, and it's actually easy to track. Telling people that, well, when you go out and buy $150 worth of shit with Bitcoin, you got to figure out how much you paid for that Bitcoin or how much it was worth when you received it and figure out that it's almost impossible to report. And, and that's why they're content to go after traders for now because they know they could never, like it's just too much trouble for too little return. So, so the smart thing to do would be acknowledge reality. And then move forward, and I, I'll tell you what I think will probably happen. 
the, the, the government, the, the, and I'm talking about Congress here, will probably pass some sort of a law that governs this and require certain reporting requirements that will make figuring out what you owe easy. And then most people that use those types of services will, will not happily pay their taxes. But they'll pay their taxes just like they do on the reporting that comes from E-Trade. And if you want to legitimize this and get it into IRAs and shit like that, which is the, where the, the whole thing explodes into you know incredible gains that make what we've seen so far look small, yes, um, that's how you do it. And so the government has to decide, do we want to head on flight with this thing that's been around for eight years that we've thrown everything we can at to get to go away? Or do we want to profit from it? And my guess is sooner or later they profit from it because just going after people is tiresome and cumbersome. And they probably won't even go after all the people they can go after. They might because it's just a letter, right? But the, 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 I think there's a lot of people in the IRS that are going to realize that this is more complicated than they think. And to tell somebody they owe you something, you have to understand it. But what they can understand very clearly, bought, sold, bought, sold. That's easy. That's just like a stock. So I think that's where we're at with that. Oh, here's one I get all the time. It's a perfect question. With the skyrocketing price of Bitcoin and others, what is the correct play for those of us that procrastinate entering into crypto? And then Leo says this with his finger pointed up at what Mark's question. And then Matthew says, one thing I would say is wait for a bit of a dip after a spike and buy. I was thinking what you are when it got to $9,000. Thought I missed the opportunity. Said, what the hell, and bought some. Happy I did. It was, if I had more Vegas money to throw at it, I would still buy now. Yeah, the days of throwing $100 in and coming out a millionaire are over, but you can still come out way ahead, especially ahead of savings account. But don't go throwing all your savings in Vegas money only. I agree, but I mean the way I would look at it is throw a hundred bucks at it. Most of you guys that are that are like procrastinating about this, okay. First of all, if you don't have a hundred bucks to throw in, this isn't for you. All right. If, if what I'm about to say isn't true about you, then you probably shouldn't do this. But most of you probably at least once or twice a month go out and blow a hundred bucks on something like a dinner or something like that, and you don't even think twice about it. And I'm not suggesting you stop doing that. I'm just saying like think about what you're saying. And I think going in kind of a dollar cost averaging approach and picking what you want to buy this month and learning about how it works and using it is the best entry point. And my fear for people is getting hurt because of fear of loss. That's when everybody starts running in as fast as they can, grabbing as much money as they can and throwing it at it. The, the, the problem with me saying this is right now that might not get you hurt. It might work. Would have worked really good if you had just bought Litecoin yesterday. You could have more than doubled your money in a day. Where does it go from here? I don't know. I'm sitting there looking at it. I'm still looking at that $6,000 in, in uh, fiat sitting there in, in uh, Coinbase going, damn, 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 what do I do? And the answer is, I'm not going to buy it today. I might get on the air tomorrow and say, gee, that was another mistake. I don't know. All I can think is I can think of sitting there looking at Ethereum at 200 bucks, and saying, when it comes back down, I'm going to take this Fiat and buy Ethereum with it. And then it was 300 400 500 Once these, these especially these established currencies start making a run, they, they run up and they find a ceiling and they fall back and they hit a floor. And they tend to do that because most of them have limited availability. The one that Dutton, that breaks the mold out of the ones we're talking about, is Ethereum. 
there's theoretically not really a limit to how many Ethereum there can be. There's a kind of a limit to how many can come out how fast, but there's not really a limit to like the total supply, from my understanding anyway. And then also one thing correct. But that, I mean that's the bit the newbie. You know, do you have 500 bucks? If you have 500 bucks and it's not going to hurt you if you lose it, I wouldn't say don't put that in. If you have a thousand, I'd say probably put in 500 and watch what happens and decide when you want to put the other 500 in. But I mean, just throwing a hundred bucks a month in. As, 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 for a couple months, three or four months, or a six month period. And if it's going well, you keep doing it. If they're not, then you kind of back off and wait for an opportunity. And then take that money and put, if it's 50 bucks a month, whatever, put it in a, put it in a savings account. But I, I mean, I kind of agree with what Matthew said. Right now, you're better off with money sitting in cryptocurrency than sitting in a savings account. But that all could change. You, procrastination is a good thing. It probably means you're not confident enough yet to risk your money. And you should trust your gut there. But you, you also have to at some point decide, like, do I want to do this or not? And if you do, throw a few bucks at it. And, and again, learn how it works. Go to the site, click on the Coinbase banner, put $100 bucks into Bitcoin, get $10 bucks for free. It's a 10% return. There's no place else you get a guarantee of that right now. And learn about it. You know, buy a couple, you know, buy then go buy $25 worth of Litecoin with your Bitcoin. And, and, but don't run into this. That's the, that's the advice I'd give anybody that's not involved yet. It's scaring me, the people that are like, I got some money, I want to put in Bitcoin, I got $10,000. Like, hold the hell, you don't even know what it is. Go to Dash School, it's free. It's three three of six episodes, you'll, you'll know all about cryptocurrency. And, and the girl that does the, the videos is pretty, so you have a pretty girl tell you about cryptocurrency in really simple ways. At least do that before you do anything other than, you know, than a few hundred bucks here or a few hundred bucks there, uh, unless you just have mad money. If you got... $10,000 worth of mad money, and you wanted to say today, I'm willing to risk this, and I'll go one-third, one-third, one-third with Bitcoin, Ethereum, and and uh, Litecoin. Okay, I don't know that it's the best time to buy, but it, you know, it's a, I, again, Bitcoin hits twelve grand, and you're like, I think we're going to have $10,000 floor, and it goes down to $9,600, bucks, and some ass clown on Facebook goes, yeah, it shows what you know, and two days later, it's fourteen grand, and it won't come back. I mean, that's... Again, you got to understand the scarce nature of the quantity versus the influx of people. People keep talking about Tulip Media. We're not there yet. Less than 1% of the world owns any cryptocurrency at all. Less than 1%. When people start talking about it, it doesn't mean they're doing it. Everybody's talking about it now. I always say everybody. Probably 10% of people even know what it is. You actually get to the point where 10% of people that have means want to buy $1,000 worth of Bitcoin, whatever that means for Bitcoin at the time, like whatever amount of Satoshis you get for that, then you got, you're going to start seeing mania. This is not mania pricing. If you do the math and work it out, you figure out what mania pricing looks like. And then at some point you're going to have to say, like, do I have the guts to stay in this thing? Do I need to take some profit? Do I need to take all my profit? You know, I was sitting there today going, I'm not rich for this. I should have bought way more than I did. Way more. Because I understood it. And there was no reason. I mean, I could have put, you know, I, when, when Bitcoin was $100, bucks, I could have put $20,000 on it and just forgot about it. You know? But I'm looking at it today going, you know, if I, if I cashed everything out, that, that big old you know, piece of ground I wanted for hunting and all, I could just go out, buy one for cash. But where do you, where do you want to be 10 years from now? What do you want to look back and say, well, I got the land, I'm happy with it? Or do you want to look back and go, geez, if I would have just held in longer, 
I mean, that's that's the decision I'm going to have to face all the way through this as, as it continues to go on. And I'll try to make the best decisions I can. And all I can say is I'll tell you what I'm doing. That's all I can say is I'll tell you what I'm doing. I'm not telling you to do what I'm doing. I'm telling you I will tell you what I'm doing. That's that, And that's the best I can do. Okay, other than Bitcoin, what are the three big cryptocurrencies and why? Okay, I'm going to give you fact and opinion. Okay, here's fact. The three biggest cryptocurrencies other than Bitcoin, based on market capitalization, are Ethereum, Bitcoin Cash, and Litecoin. With the market cap on Bitcoin right now being $293 billion dollars. Significantly bigger than the next three combined. Ethereum at $60 billion. Uh, Bitcoin Cash at $27 billion. And Litecoin at $18 billion. And realize Litecoin has come way up in the past couple days. Uh, Ethereum kind of has too. All, all of them except Bitcoin Cash. Bitcoin Cash is actually dropping in market capitalization relative to the other three because the other three have moved so much up while it's kind of found stability around $1,500 and sitting there. So that's, that's the answer from that. And that's a fact, right? Um, from a standpoint of which are the next three in regards to price, that's also something we can look at as a fact. And we see quite a bit of correlation there. We would have Bitcoin Cash at $1,600. Again, the price is changing during the show to show you volatility. Uh, Dash at $930. And Dash has just had a breakout. I've been worried about Dash. Because it hit like 700 bucks and it kind of stuck there for a while at a ceiling and it's just broken out to 900 bucks. And that I think is a today thing. And Ethereum at $624. Those are your, 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 your next three in price. If we wanted to look at something like the change in the last 24 hours, who's had the biggest gains? And you start to see some, um, some combinations here. Uh, of who who shows up on all three lists, but the 24 hour you can only put so much into. But your 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 24 hour biggest gainers, Bitcoin's not even on the list. Litecoin 74%, Adore Adore, I'd never even heard of it before. Uh, this is selling for 98 cents at 66%, and Aeon not Eon like I keep saying Aeon A I O N uh, at 43%, and I'm not real familiar with any of those. Uh, but those gain that much in the past. There's a lot of volatility in these these smaller coins. Ethereum's way down the list. Let's see. One, they don't have numbers for me. One, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine. Number nine and 24 gains at 31%. But you see that Bitcoin, Ethereum, and Litecoin show up in those worlds. And, you know, those are kind of, I think, your big three. Bitcoin Cash has a lot of value But I don't know how stable that value is. Is it going to continue to hold that much value? It is only because it came out of Bitcoin that it's there. If somebody would have created Bitcoin Cash this you know summer, fall, and it was everything that Bitcoin Cash was, but it wasn't a fork, there's no way it'd be over a thousand bucks. It'd be lucky to be over ten. It'd be lucky to be over a dollar. And I think one of the things that creates value in Bitcoin Cash is since it came out of Bitcoin, a lot of people got it for nothing, and they figured the hell with it, I'll hold it. So if you want to buy it, a lot of those people won't sell. And another thing is a lot of it is stranded. I mean, it can't move right now. Let's look at Coinbase. How much Bitcoin was in Coinbase the day of the fork? And that's all Bitcoin Cash that can't trade. Eventually, people will get And what happens when everybody gets it? When every Bitcoin holder 
that used Coinbase and sat through the fork in Coinbase in January gets their Bitcoin cash, what are they going to do? Are they going to sell it or are they going to hold it? So that creates the same digital kind of scarcity thing for Bitcoin cash. Now, those are all facts. I want to go back to my opinion about who I think the big players are. And you're going to hear some of the same numbers. But I think that Bitcoin Cash, personally, is too much like Bitcoin and too much artificially inflated because it came out of Bitcoin and things that you gave you now to call it a big player right now. It's going to take major adaptation for it, especially from a standpoint of how much it can gain in value if you're looking at it as an investor and how stable it is at that value. My personal opinions are your other players are Ethereum, Litecoin, Dash, for now. Those are your other three. Um, I like some other ones like Monero, because there's a, you know, being able to be completely private and things like that. Zencash, Zcash, I'm mining Zcash. You know, so there's, there's value in it as a miner for sure. But here's my reasoning behind each one of these. Number one, Ethereum allows companies to create their own tokens, blockchain technologies, etc. It is the only thing that really does that. It's, it's got a fairly stable value component to it. They're probably going to move to a proof-of-stake model uh, in the future, which will not be good for Ethereum miners, by the way, but will probably be good for Ethereum stability because it'll be to the point where if you have enough Ethereum, you're getting rewarded just for keeping it, uh, which will probably add to stability in it. And even though you can do blockchain technology without the Ethereum token, they made it easy to roll your own and do all of these ICOs and things. So, so I think for the, the foreseeable future, they have quite a bit of stability and potential upside, even at their current price of over 600 bucks. Litecoin, it is Bitcoin, and it works faster and better, and it's been undervalued for a very, very long time, and it's in Coinbase. If you don't think that matters, I'm sorry, it does. It is one of only three cryptocurrencies that people can easily buy with cash in the most popular exchange that there is. Now, that think about what happens in January when Bitcoin Cash is in there. Does it, does it explode? It might. It might. And that's why I'm saying, like, if you rode through the split and you have both, you don't care. You're happy. But it's not there yet, and we don't know what will happen when that happens. I think it will be good for Bitcoin Cash, but I don't know that it'll... I think by then Litecoin might, might blow past Bitcoin Cash. I'm not saying it's good, I'm saying it could. And then you have Dash. Here's why I think Dash is doing so well and will continue to do well. Dash is the only cryptocurrency I know that is really out there marketing, use us in the marketplace, use us in the marketplace. And they are doing it mostly in the cannabis market in a place where it's very hard for those guys to have any kind of a bank. And, I mean, I want you to think about this. Like, So you can completely be legal. You can do business in Dash. And, I mean, you're talking about something that's appreciating in value every month versus a bank account right now that's paying 0.01%. They make it easy, and you can have the transactions be secure. You can have the transactions be public, or you can have the transactions be private. And I think that's one of the big things that Dash does that other cryptos don't that have gone into the world of privacy, like Monero. If you do transactions in Monero, it's private, period. Dash, you have to select a, a, a setting when you do the transaction. 
But you can do it either way. Now, I want you to think about this. That's not bad. Because there might be some things that you wish to be public. And some things that I don't think we should say secret, right? I don't think we should say anonymous. Those all sound like bad words. They're not, but they sound like bad words in our day. No, private. Privacy is a perfect, like, that's acceptable to everybody. Everybody's like, yeah, privacy makes sense. So I might have transactions that I prefer to be private, but I also may have things that I would prefer to be public, or at least publicly auditable so I can prove something happened. So I think they have that advantage. Plus, they're doing the, you know, they have the Dash ATMs going in, and every Dash ATM is also a Bitcoin ATM. They were smart not trying to just completely go head to head with Bitcoin, which means that people that find out about Bitcoin and want to use a Bitcoin ATM are going to go see the big Dash logo. Um, they, they, they've got a good YouTube channel. They had Amanda B. Johnson do all of her stuff. I, I've mentioned them how many times because it's the best tutorial I've seen. So I, I think that they have a unique value proposition. Now, I think there's other people that it's going to be, will they be bigger, or will they just have really great value stories, and will they have be worth holding because of that? And I think those are things like uh, Swarm City. If Swarm City does what they say they're going to do, Swarm City tokens are going to be worth a shitload of money. There's only 9 million Swarm City tokens. And, I mean, that's... It's completely a deflationary model. If they can build half of what they promise... You know, you swarm city tokens are going to be a hundred bucks at least. You're talking about something that's trading right now under five bucks. But they got to do it. They got to do it or it's, it, it, it doesn't matter. Basic attention tokens inside the Brave browser. So, um, you know, they, they, they do their ICO, they make $35 million. Uh, they're chugging along with the Brave browser. What have they done? where is the stuff? And that's with a lot of these things. Like, they have this great story. Are they going to... But if you actually get to the point where you have millions of people using the Brave browser, rewarding the sites that they like best with a couple Brave attention tokens or a few dollars worth of them a month, and any advertiser that wants to get into that group of people who have blocked all the bullshit ads and they only want to see ads that actually are far from that network that benefit the sites that they're observing that respect their privacy, and, and, and all of that's happening inside an ecosystem using Brave Attention Tokens, they're going to be worth a hell of a lot of money. But where is it? And so many of these companies have come out and done something and said they're going to do this with it, and I don't see a lot of things happening. Things are moving very, very slowly from a standpoint of the platforms. And, and some of this worries me because I don't think it should be that hard to do. But right now, my, my personal choices for the cryptos that I think are going to be the ones that, like, if you bought them today, two years from now, you're still going to be happy with your decision. Bitcoin, Ethereum, Litecoin, Dash. But my God, please hear me. This is my opinion. And I also think there's a lot of opportunity for Bitcoin Cash but I don't know how it's going to go right now. I will tell you, when it becomes available in Coinbase, you're going to have a lot of volatility in it, and it's a question of are you going to have more sellers than buyers, and that'll drive the price down, or more buyers than sellers, because that's the other thing that people have. A, I want you to understand something. Like so, like if you're way up, it's pretty simple when you're sitting there looking at all the Bitcoin you have and. Coinbase decides, hey, you know what? We're going to add Litecoin. That's why I have quite a bit of Litecoin. 
They did. I went, shit. I buy a couple thousand bucks worth of this stuff. Just using my Bitcoin profits. That's, that's, yeah, why not? It's there. It's easy. Might as well do it. And I'm not a genius. That's why I hadn't dug into this anywhere near as deep as I have after the last, you know, year. And it was just like, hey, it just seems to make sense. I was actually, if you go back and listen to past episodes, I was doing an interview with a person on cryptocurrency. I don't remember if it was Brandon Todd or if it was the guy from the UK or whoever, but I was in my Coinbase account because of that. I saw they added Litecoin. I want you to tell you, yeah, I'll buy that. And that happens. If it happens to me, it happens to a lot of people. And more buyers equals higher price. That's just a straight commodities thing. Uh, let's take another one. Uh, next one, uh, is there room for it? Could you analyze it like, this is from Christopher, could you analyze it like a stock? How would you do so? I'd like to invest and not speculate, but I don't understand how it works. Um, it actually works a lot like a stock, but if you have to ask me if you can analyze it like a stock, you probably can't analyze a stock. From a technical analysis standpoint, there's two ways to do an analysis on a stock. You do a technical analysis on it where you almost don't even care what the company does. But you look at the technicals on it, you look at the buying history on it, you look at its performance, you look at its moving average, and you can say with a fair amount of certainty, if you did 20 of them, right, and averaged it out, this is probably going to appreciate or depreciate over the next 30 days. Here's a short or a long position against it in a, in a futures market trade. Um, but if you have to ask me that, you're not qualified to do it, and I am limited in my qualifications to do that. The other way that they're like stocks, though, is they are driven a lot by emotion. If a really great story comes out about some kind of new thing going on with General Motors today, and it goes across all of the major networks, you'll probably see an increase in GM stock price. And then will something go happen next or in, you know, kind of back that up and ensure that momentum and maintain it, or will that subside? Lots of stuff like that happens in cryptocurrency. If a new story came out right now, that said, you know, five major retailers ink uh, contract to accept Litecoin uh, as a form of payment in 2018, it'll shoot through the roof. If it turns out to not be true, then what? I mean, so that's another way. But when you don't understand it, like I said, I kind of covered that in the beginning with why this stuff has value. It has value because a lot of energy, a lot of electricity... A lot of computing power goes into making sure that it works the way that it's supposed to and you can't counterfeit it and you can exchange information. See, instead of value or money, think about it. You can exchange with knowns information on a ledger within known rules and verify. And it's interesting, like when you send a transaction, you'll see like it's had like six verifications And that's when it'll finally go through on like a Bitcoin transaction. Like it'll have one or two verifications. It'll still be pending. Because what they're trying to do is make sure you can't double spend. If I send, you know, I'll just give it a short token uh, name of like XYZ because it's so easy to understand. So if I have token XYZ, Bitcoin, one full Bitcoin XYZ, and I send it to Mike and it's worth $1,700 and I bought, I don't know, uh, a used car that I can't turn around within that next 30 minutes and also pay a bill to Visa for $1,700 and screw both of them because that token can only exist in one place or the other, not both. And if there's not enough verifications before there's, it's confirmed, then it's theoretically possible to double spend. 
So you'll only see like six, eight verifications and you'll see it confirmed because that's enough. Six to eight different places on the blockchain have completely verified it through the transaction. But if you go back and look at that transaction like a month later, it'll say something like 6,000 verifications. So think of, there's your value. And imagine what that's saying. Is that saying 6,000 different nodes across the world verify this as true. Its value is in its ability to tell the truth and to do that privately or publicly. That's how all of these things really get their value. And a lot of the peripheral shit gets its value through hype and momentum and following the coattails of everybody else. Next question. Uh, Dallas Smith, Aon, and more on why you like it and recommend it. Well, I like it. I am not recommending it. I'm not recommending anything. I'm telling you what I'm doing, and I'm telling you the things that have caught my attention. The reason I like Eon uh, is because it is basically a lightweight Monero, and Monero is a major player. You know, it is, when we look at pricing, it is the ninth most expensive coin out there. It also has the ninth highest market capitalization out there. And market cap is simply the total number of units that exist multiplied by the price. That's the total market cap. The value of all of it in circulation. And this is the thing I've talked about before, but I'll reiterate it here. You need to understand this because when somebody's telling you Ripple's going to go to $1,000... And they're already sitting at a $12 billion market capitalization, and there's like a billion ripples. Of cir- circulating supply of Ripple right now is $38.7 billion. So if you do that math and say, well, what's 1,000 times $38 billion? You, you realize that it's not likely to ever be a $1,000 token. There's some things that could make it happen, but it ain't going to happen next year. It's just, just math. So anyway, back to the concept of Monero being... The ninth most expensive coin out there and the ninth highest market capitalization. It'll move up and down depending on price fluctuations going on right now. It might move down to, you know, 12, but it'll be a top 20 coin for a long time. What you're going to start seeing is more and more money comes into the market. People looking for that sub $5 coin because they're chasing the next Bitcoin. They're chasing the next thing that's going to go to a thousand, even a thousand bucks from 500. Is, is, is a bigger, a way bigger return than let's say Bitcoin going to $50,000. So a lot of money was going to go into these smaller coins for various reasons. What Eon does, and like I said, my concern is I don't know how much is actually being done to keep the project moving forward. But what Eon does is it's like Monero, but more lightweight and works better in mobile environments. And what that says to me is it's probably going to be the case as more and more people get a Coinbase account, get an exchange account, start learning more about this and start chasing the little ones to put into their portfolio, one that gets picked up. The problem for Eon is no one seems to know about it. Um, I honestly only know about it because it was available to be mined in, uh, in, in, in Minergate, which I'll talk about this in a little bit more in a second. But when I, I mean, you'd be surprised at how few cryptocurrencies there are um, that you know are really high in in value. Most of them are actually pretty small. And uh, so let me, so I can kind of get this right for you. Um, 
if I look at the top hundred and I go by price, the problem is the uh, the the system I'm using ranks them only in their their market cap uh, in you know how whether number one or two. So I'm kind of scrolling down this infinite Excel spreadsheet, uh, but when I uh, When I look for Eon on the list, I don't see them at all. Again, A-E-O-N. There's another currency out now called Ion, A-I-O-N. Or a, I'm not even sure what it is. And I haven't been able to find out much about it, um, but it ain't Eon. It's A-I-O-N, and it's priced at 373 uh, right now. And it's fairly far down the list, but when I separately look up Eon, A-E-O-N, it's at 355, so a little bit less. But as I scroll down through the prices, here's what I see in that range. Uh, Komodo at 361. Bancor, and this is on CoinMarketCap, which is like the site, like the NYSE listings and shit like that, you know, of crypto. Uh, Bancor at 357. Peercoin at 354. And then it drops all the way down to Radian Network at 273. You'll notice a distinct absence in that range there of Eon. So my concern is, will enough people find out about it? But I think if they do... It's the kind of currency that people would chase. It's got a good story. It is basically to Monero what Litecoin is to um, to Bitcoin. If they get their shit together and do a little bit of marketing. Now, I'm not going to put $10,000 in it. Um, I made a couple trades with it because it went way... Like, I found it. I looked at it. I started mining it. I started playing with it. I understood it. I bought some. It went way, way up. I, I dumped it, and, and Monero had taken a dump, and I bought Monero with it. I basically converted it to Monero. Uh, it's not in any of the multi-currency wallets I can find, so it's got all of that as a problem, but I like it because I can mine it with a CPU. Uh, I'm mining about to, with uh, all the computers in my house running it when I'm not uh, doing anything else. I'm mining it with uh, to, to, to about two Eon uh, a week. And at, you know, $350, it's you know, 7 bucks a, a week. $28 a month in free cryptocurrencies, the way I look at it, because these CPUs don't draw that much power, and I pay dirt cheap power prices anyway. I don't even notice the difference of the bill. And so then it's it's an anonymous cryptocurrency that I can change into something else. Yeah, I, I, so I like it. I'm not recommending that we invest in it. I think it has a real potential, and I'd like to throw out an opportunity for somebody right now, if you'll get in touch with me about doing this. Uh, I look, there's not even that many people in the world mining it. Compared to what its what its actual value is, which is it, it, it is substantial. I mean, we're talking about a market cap of fifty two million dollars. You know, a minor player by the by some of the others, but fifty two million dollars. It's had some real positive pricing. If you look at the, if you say, "Well, I like it," you look at what the fact that I bought this stuff, you know, in uh, around November eighth. and I sold it around. Uh, just, I'm looking at my Bittrex account, December first. Uh, and you can see it's actually a little up from that now, and I actually missed the total uh, peak. But if you look at the difference between those two dates, you'll see why I like it. It was nice to me. And if you look at how Monero played in with that, and I basically moved it to Bitcoin and then waited for Bitcoin to jump and then grabbed some Monero with it, yeah. And this is all play stuff. This is little amounts of, of money here. You're talking you know, sub $500 trades, at least when you go into them. Um, but it's a nice little learning experiences, and if you lose, it doesn't hurt that much. Um, but that's why I like it. Now, if they can go forward and market this story, and my problem is I don't see anything new from them in their Twitter, their Facebook, or anything like that. I don't see a lot going on. But yet I do see this big rise in value. 
This is when they should be talking themselves up. So we'll see if they do it. Right now, I'm not holding any. Uh, I made that trade, and I'm, I'm, you know, I'm sitting here looking at Monero where it's at right now versus when I entered it, and I'm more comfortable with that position into Monero right now. Monero has a lot more going for it, but I'll keep an eye on this, on this this Eon, and I'll keep mining it, and I'll let it accumulate till you know there's enough money to make it worth moving. And I'll just keep adding it to you know my play money on the exchange. So here's my offer on Eon. I'm using um, Minergate to mine it with the GUI, and I've heard that it's actually a slow way to mine. So I downloaded the command line miner on um, on Minergate and learned how to use it. It was pretty easy, and it, when I when I tested it with Monero my mining value went up by 25%. I was getting about 25% more hashes, which is just you know how much work you're getting out of it. But Monero mines pretty slow with a CPU, even though it's worth a lot more. And it, it seems to me that when I do the numbers, as crazy as it sounds, mining this little coin for you know $350 a coin makes more sense to mine with my CPUs right now because I don't have GPU mining. And it's kind of that's the other thing. It's immune to GPU mining. It's designed to work for everybody so that everybody can be part of it. And I don't know if that's the best play long-term, but I think it's a good mid-term, short-term play. Okay? Um, and I've tried to figure out how to mine it using, you know, another pool, because there's a, it's pool mining when you're on Minergate, meaning you're part of a group of people. I've tried to figure out how to do it with other command line-based mining programs and all. And all I can say is that the people that do how to mine videos, articles, etc., seem like they think every single person out there knows C++ programming and basic programming and shit like that. They, they, they say, here's the thing to edit and put your wallet address in and all and change this line, and they don't tell you where the hell that is. You know, at some, it's like a, a bat file, and at least in uh, the Minergate one, even though they don't tell you that you have to create a bat file, you can find that and then do it. But here's my offer. I think it would be cool to use the TSP mark, the TSP audience, and I'm sure there's probably at least a thousand people out there would be interested in doing it, and create our own Eon pool. And someone that knows this shit cold, they can make it so that a dadgone person that can tie their shoes and chew bubble gum can just follow the damn thing and set up a miner and get it going. Most mining pools take about a one to one and a half percent fee. I'll market it, you set it up so that it's retard-proof, and we'll set up our own Eon pool, and we'll split the fee in half. There's an opportunity in cryptocurrency. Somebody, there's tons of it out there mining. Go look at all the command line, all of the different ways to mine Eon, all the different ways to set up a wallet. Find the easiest and most profitable Put it together. Make it as simple as possible. Don't assume that anybody looking at it knows anything. And don't sit there like in a video showing people, well, here's the current price and here's the market. That is not what they're looking for. They know that shit. That's why they're trying to mine it. Right? Don't go into like all the Windows settings for Windows 10 and Windows Defender. and what you have Show them how to do it. And then say, if it's not working, check this. If, 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 if your malware bite shows up, do that. But show them exactly nothing but... 
Go here. Download this. Put this here. Set up your wallet this way. Boom, 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 boom. And in, I've looked in all the damn currencies, and you would think somebody would have done it in a clear, concise manner for a non-technical person to be. Because it's all—it's none of it's hard. When you actually figure out what the hell the moron's talking about, you're like, oh, it's pretty much cut and paste this and put my thing there and do that and hit run. It's not hard, but they, they make it harder. That you're almost better off just screwing with it until you see what happens than trying to use the tutorials. So if there's someone out there that knows what it takes to set up a pool that would be interesting and interested in doing it, and I'll even I think we're going to need like a VPN to do it. That's going to cost a few bucks here and there. I will fund it if you tell me how much it's going to cost, and we split the fee. But you make it easy, and you figure out how to tweak it and do best. I think it would be even smartest to basically say the file you have to create because all these mine here's the problem all these miners can mine more than one cryptocurrency, so you have to create something for them that could be in there already pre-configured and you only have to change one thing, but no one does it that way. So I'm thinking we could do that. We say here here's here is the dot bat if it if it uses I don't even know if it's a bat file but here's the bat file that you need. It's not because the mind, like, you don't have, there's no, it's not in there. You download the shit, you unzip it, it's not in there. It says to put this line of code and then execute, and it doesn't say create a bat file and stick it in there. And this is the entire code, but it doesn't say that. So people are getting frustrated, and that's why Miner Gate's successful, even though they're not the most rewarding way to mine. And I'd say for now, if you want to get some experience, download it and mine either Monero or mine Eon if you're going to use your CPU to mine. GPU, um, I don't know how well you'll do. I, you know, try it and let me know how it's working for you. I, I, I'd really like to know. Um, but I, I'm open to that as an experiment, and I think it'd be kind of cool to build a, a mining pool. And then you're getting people technically astute enough to do that. And what could we do next? What could we do next? That's interesting because I think that there is a place, and I think you'll see more currencies coming out that are designed to work with consumer hardware, that seems like a big thing, and you pick the right one, and you move like a swarm there, and you do what you can with it, and when it's not worth doing anymore, you move like a swarm somewhere else. And that's a way that you can open up this industry to other people, and I'm interested in doing it. I don't have the time, and I'm frustrated with it. I'm sure if I'm frustrated with it, there's other people out there that wouldn't have gotten as far as I did and are more frustrated. Uh, next one says, is it too late to get in a question about the power consumption of Bitcoin? I kind of covered that already. That comes from Travis. It's bullshit. Yes, it uses a lot of electricity. So does Visa. So does MasterCard. So does the Federal Reserve. So does the, how much energy do you think is used by the Merck pharmaceutical data centers around the world? This is another hit piece. Let it go. Let it go. Okay. And it's replacing something that also uses a lot of energy. Pick something. Banking uses a massive metric shit ton of, of money and, and energy, and it only benefits a very few people. Crypto benefits a hell of a lot more people. And when you move commerce out of the banking sector, the energy that's not being used there can be used there. I don't know that it's zero sum, but it's not an environmental catastrophe. It's not going to melt icebergs and kill polar bears. It just isn't, so stop worrying about it. Here's a great question from Adam. Adam says, I want to know why you see different prices across different outlets. For example, Litecoin shows a different price depending on if you're looking at Coinbase or the pricing on Jax or CoinCap app, etc. Okay, this is because 
the information is constantly being refreshed, and at the same second, it is likely that the same coin is selling for different prices on different exchanges. Probably not a huge variation, but some. And exchanges, especially Coinbase, for all the good they do, they do some pretty evil shit as well as far as I'm concerned. Coinbase is not above charging you more. Now the thing about it is, whatever they're charging you, they're selling to you for. Right? So you can, you can, it cuts both ways, I guess. But in the end, especially when, when, when things really start to go crazy, when you have a, a coin double in price in seven hours, And people are buying and selling and buying and selling and buying. It's a variable thing. The thing you can't lose sight of in any transaction, stock, commodity, futures, cryptocurrency, to sell, there must be a buy. If no one will buy, you can't get anything. If the buyers back down in what they're willing to pay, and the sellers want to sell, they have to lower their price. There's a spread in what's called the bid and the ask. And it could be as simple as, when is the last time the exchange went out and updated out of the market? And they could be five minutes apart and significantly different. Uh, and that's, you know, you, you wonder who's going to build the first high-frequency trading platform that, that, that creates liquidity in a market that doesn't need it. it, it it's, it it's interesting. And I'll tell you, like, this is something I never really thought of before. But you know all those long transaction times they bitch about in Bitcoin? It's, it's one way they could be good. If you can't have instantaneous transactions, then it's difficult. It's not impossible because high-frequency traders have ways they can manipulate this, but it's more difficult. They have to set, basically settle at the end of the day. But with something like Bitcoin, there's a lot of risk in that. Where with stocks, it's a lot more steady and predictable, so it's a lot less risky to be in the middle creating liquidity. So what I, what I mean by that is... If you go to E-Trade and you sell a Ford Motor Company stock and you don't put a limit on it, you just basically sell it market, it's bam, it's done. Now, there might have been a buyer in the traditional sense on the other end, somebody that really wanted Ford Motor Company stock. But what most likely happened is an automated computer recognized this was the time to buy and some high-frequency company with a data center across the street or across the river from Wall Street bought it with no intention of keeping it whatsoever and waits for the seller and transfers it over to them. And that means they have to have a significant stockpile of capital to run a float. There's not none of that in crypto. That's what Shapeshift basically does. But nowhere near the type of high frequency trading that you get, you know, with the Goldman Sachs and what have you and their buddies and their cronies and pushing shit around on Wall Street. And it is, it is more difficult to do that with a commodity that has longer transaction times. But you see the differences because it takes time for that, that it's a global market with buyers and sellers everywhere and people one minute being willing to pay more and one willing to pay less. And it, it, it's, it's gonna fluctuate. And there's actually a lot of global commodities that if you came to like, If you found like five different places that show real-time live pricing, unless they're sourcing the same network at the same frequency, they're, they're going to have variations too. It's, it's, it's not really that crazy, even though sometimes it seems like it. Uh, next up, uh, Michael says, is it too late to get on to mining uh, lesser-known coins? Do you uh, 
Uh, see this price jump as a bubble that will pop or a sustained price evolution that allows opportunities with lesser-known coins. Uh, it is definitely not too late to get into mining altcoins. If it was, I wouldn't have said a lot of the things that I've said today already. Um, it's picking which ones and, and, and you know, are you mining for uh, predictable profitability or for speculation? You know, if you find a new altcoin that's that's trading very low and it's very easy to mine, but even with that easy mining, it's not real profitable, um, and maybe if it's not even break even, then you're sitting there hoping that, well, basically I'm getting this for free or for very little cost, and I'm hoping that it'll go up. And instead of spending money on it, I'm spending a resource on it. It's Instead of using fiat dollars, I'm using... Robot sweat equity, I guess, is the robot sweat equity uh, to do it. Because you're basically running a robot when you're running a miner. Do I think the current price jump is a bubble? What's a bubble? I think this is something people need to understand. What's a bubble? A bubble is an artificial inflation in the value of something because there's more buyers than sellers at any given time, and it's not sustainable. It's the same thing as... Natural progressive growth in price, except that natural progressive growth is more sustainable. You can have prices go way, 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 way up in something and it not be a bubble. Do I think that you'll see Bitcoin just continue to truck all the way to $100,000 or half a million dollars with no big drops? Absolutely not. What's a bubble within a bubble? I'll tell you something to be really interesting. Remember the dot-com bubble? Okay. Now that we've had a little bit of time since the dot-com bubble, because we're up all the way to 2017, almost 2018, go look, go to Google Finance, pull up the NYSE, and set your dates from like 1995 to 2015, and then look at the dot-com bubble. That's barely a mouse fart blip. Because the underlying concept that investing in companies that do things made sense, so a pop in the middle was just a fluctuation from the median. And it still went back to a sustained type of growth. I think there's a lot more funny business going on in the stock market, though, than I do there is in cryptocurrency. Um, let me just remind you of something when people say, like, no, I would stick to traditional investments or whatever. I mean, the Fed dumped half a trillion dollars into the markets through the Treasury from 2008, um, or actually from 2009 to 2014. Half a trillion dollars of phony baloney money was pumped in there. Bitcoin has set rules. Everybody knows the rules. Now, is the price been driven up by the pop culture kind of grabbing, I should have done this when that geeky guy told me, and running out and spending five grand on it, and not knowing what they're doing. Yes, it is. But the question is, is it sustainable? And I'll tell you what I think makes it sustainable. And again, that does not mean that you, you might not wake up tomorrow and see Bitcoin at $12,500, but you ain't going to wake up and see it at zero. The core of holders has been holding for years, and they're not scared. They don't get scared. They just don't get scared. They don't freak out. 
They, they watch everybody freak out. And a lot of your holders are guys that are also sitting there with they got you know 10% of their wealth sitting aside. And every time they see a big giant, ah, they buy. And whenever they see a big run up, they sell that 10%. And they're not afraid. They're not afraid that it'll run away from there because they have the other 90% sitting in holding. They're, see, this is the thing that you, you, you can't do this really well with anything else out there. You can't sit down and audit and say, look, here's how many shares of this stock haven't moved in six years. Technically you can, but it's not really, not, not, you can't identify the individual share. You know, these 800,000 shares have been sitting with this one person and haven't moved It doesn't exist because the mutual fund companies changed all the, like, there's no steady anything. So I, I don't think it's, I'm not saying it's not a bubble. I'm saying it doesn't mean what people mean it to mean when they say that. And again, this is my prediction. It's very possible, if not probable, that Bitcoin will break $20,000 this week. It's almost inevitable, I feel, that it will break $20,000 by the end of the year. If it gets up to there by the end of the year, I think nobody will want to sell in the, the conventional markets because if I sell this year, I pay taxes this year and will want to hold at least into January. January could open the floodgates of people deferring that taxable event into the next year, and Bitcoin could drop from twenty or $25,000 down to $12,500, let's say. And the media will say it crashed. And anybody with an understanding of mathematics and economics... Would go, <laughs> shut up. You guys, if you didn't have, if you hadn't already lost all credibility, but that doesn't mean if you jump in and buy at 25, you can't get burned for half your money. Now, I think if you hold long term, I'm telling you long term, I think Bitcoin is, is going to be the cryptocurrency. I don't see anything changing that yet, but it's opinion. But my target price for Bitcoin in 2018 is $25,000 to $35,000. And I will not be surprised if I end up having undershot it. I will be surprised if it's not at least at my minimum of $25,000 by the end of 2018. I will be shocked. I, I'll tell you that something will have to have changed the landscape, and even if it hasn't knocked Bitcoin off its throne, it is, you know, it is Litecoin maybe at its heels. It's it's possible. It's possible. Um, it's gonna you know, if if major industry adopts one of these things and legitimizes it. But I think the most likely thing that you could see in 2018, and it could blow way through everything if this happens, is a Bitcoin ETF. The day you get a Bitcoin ETF, John McAfee doesn't look crazy anymore. John McAfee starts to look really smart for risking his manhood and having to eat his own manhood um, the day that happens. It doesn't look crazy anymore at all. Okay, um, down to like just a few, so I'm going to go through the last few, even though I've kind of talked about some of this before. What are some introductory practical crypto resources to point interested family members to? Dash School. I, like, I don't know how many times I'm going to have to say this, and I know a lot of people who keep asking for resources haven't watched the first three episodes of Dash School. 
most of the questions I get about the basic fundamentals of how cryptocurrency works, where it gets its value, if you'd watch that, you wouldn't be asking them. And I'm not picking on James that asked this, because for all I know, he tuned in yesterday, joined the podcast forum, and, and hasn't heard me talk about this. But it's, it is the, I, I would say, until you've done that, don't ask me for any other resources. Most of the stuff being written about this is being written to who raw it or to shit on it. And it's not very useful. I would say probably the best resource for friends and family that might be interested, though, is you. Is you. Explain what you understand. Answer the questions you're capable of answering. Take the questions you don't have answers for. Say you'll get back to them, go research it on their behalf, and go give them an answer. And, and you'll learn from that experience as well. But Dash School is the number one resource. Because once you watch it, you go, oh, that's how this works. That's why this works. That's why this has been around so long. That's why they can't destroy it. That's why when people say it's been hacked, they're full of crap. You can't hack it. It's impossible. You can hack an exchange, you can hack a wallet, but you can't hack the currency itself. It would be like saying if somebody breaks into your house, finds your cash drawer, crowbars it open, and steals $50,000 worth of U.S. dollars, physical currency, that they hacked cash. They didn't hack cash. They hacked your home security. That's what Mt. Gox was. That's what some of these other hacks were. No one's ever hacked one of these currencies Well, actually, no one's ever hacked Bitcoin. There's been some, you know, rolled up currencies with some weaknesses that have experienced some hacks. But when they're done right, it's, and if you could hack Bitcoin itself, it would have been done long ago. The government would have, I guarantee you the government had a team trying to figure out how to control it and shut it down within a year of its creation. And finally went, mm, we got to figure out some other way to deal with this. Um... Next question, How and it's the same one from James. How many different currencies to hold in order to diversify? I, I, I think that it really makes a lot of sense to hold probably 60% or more in Bitcoin, even right now. And then the other 40% divided up into alts. I, however, because I made a really great trade moving into Ethereum, I'm not following that myself right now. I actually have more in Ethereum than I do in Bitcoin. Um, and I've looked at it, and I can't see exiting it. over. To, and, and they've both done really well. How many? I, understand, I don't hold a lot of, hold a lot of currencies in, in any significant quantity. I'm holding Bitcoin, Litecoin, and Ethereum in, in, in what I would call a significant amount. Everything else is little bits, little bits and bobs. I've been watching Bitcoin pricing and my mind Zcash. When Bitcoin takes a dip, I convert it. Because I can't afford to mine, like, I can't effectively mine Bitcoin, but I can mine something else and convert it to Bitcoin. And I think Bitcoin right now is a better long term play than Zcash. I may end up being wrong about that, but I don't think I'll be sad about it. Um, I don't even think you should be thinking that way when you have to ask the question. If you have to ask how many should I have, You probably should have two or three or one. And the, I'm, I'm telling you right now, I don't think there's anything wrong with holding Bitcoin, but I think you do have other currencies that have the potential for marked increases. But uh, 
I think we're going to get to a point soon where even you know people with significant wealth can't afford one. And when people start talking about, man, I'm saving up to buy a tenth of a Bitcoin, um, we're going to be in a different world. And uh, how many? Uh, let's see. Best place for news in regard to cryptocurrencies. Um, I get a email newsletter every day called Crypto Compare. To me, they have been the most accurate and reliable source of information that I can get. I'll check out their site from time to time, but I at least check their newsletter out um, every day, and uh, I, I find it very, very useful. I was looking the other day, in fact, so that I could tell you guys how to subscribe to their newsletter. And I went all over their site and could not find subscribe to our newsletter. So I emailed their support. I said, I talk to over 100,000 people today and often about cryptocurrency, and I would love to tell them to subscribe to your great newsletter. I'm on it. I have no idea how I got on it. I don't remember subscribing to it. Uh, but I get it every day, and I like it, and I can't figure out how to subscribe to it on your website. They they basically emailed me back and said, Jack, we hate money. Because what they said was, you have to register for the site to get the newsletter. You, you, then, then, then you should probably tell people you get our free, amazing, awesome newsletter by registering for our site. But they don't. And you don't really understand a compelling reason to register for the site, but it's it's worth registering for the newsletter. Um, I have differed with my buddy Vin Armani on his advice on cryptocurrency quite a bit. And so far, and I'm not going to gloat because gloating turns around and kicks you in the ass really quick. So far, I've been right and he's been wrong. But in calling coins to get into um, his publication, Countermarkets, which you do have to pay for, it's pretty expensive, uh, has been dead on. And if each time they had called a coin... You'd put a hundred bucks into it. You would not be worried about the fact that counter markets is going to cost you a hundred to hundred fifty dollars a year, depending on how you pay for it. You would not not even complain. So that's a pretty good source of like, hey, this is what you should be looking at next. So far, right? Track records change and what have you, but uh, uh, Crypto Compare is my number one source. I also do have an Amazon Alexa, and. Inside the app, you can select different sources for your daily briefing, and there's a couple on cryptocurrency. Uh, mostly, they just give pricing, your, your, your fastest moving, your highest up, your highest down, stuff like that. Mostly, I just look at price, and I actually get a lot of information from Facebook. Let me caveat that, though. Most of the information on Facebook is crap. It's garbage. It's some guy that just went out and bought something and he wants to pump it up because he thinks that he actually has enough friends that they'll go out and buy it too and he'll make money or something stupid like that or some kind of crap. And you got to be real careful you don't get emotional in with these people. But, you know, you will see news stories and stuff like that. New Facebook, is, as much as it can be Facebook, is a very big-time source for me because the people that I'm friends with and the groups that I'm part of are the things that I'm interested in, and, 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 and they're sourcing that information. It's not that I trust Facebook. It's that, you know, something ends up in front of me and I take a look at it. And you guys, I get a lot of information from you guys. When anything major happens, not just a crib, but anything, You know, and that's hopefully I'm a good source of information for you guys as well because of that. Uh, Brandon Todd, who has uh, recently stepped down from his role in the expert council, has a website called Crypto Skim. He could be spotty, and I think he's just limited on time, but um, usually they're pretty valuable. When so, I would go by Crypto Skim and subscribe to that. My big caution with all of these sources 
anybody that has a lot of eyeballs on them right now in this industry is making most of their money through advertising. There, there's not a lot of like paid services and stuff like that. Um, and that means that they're going, hey, if you give us money, we will tell all of our subscribers, all of our readers, all of our followers about you because they're going to have to pay the bills. And for, for instance, this is one of the reasons I do MSB the way that I do, right? Because my sponsorship part of my revenue model is very small compared to my memberships. So who do you think I care more about, you or the sponsors? So if I have a sponsor that does something I don't like, and it hasn't happened in a long time, but it did in the beginning, I had two sponsors that got fired. And, you know, this was when the show wasn't quite as successful as it is today. And you would think it'd be hard to tell somebody, you know, I don't want your money, but it was pretty easy. So the, 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 the cautionary is that these people are nefarious or anything, but like when somebody says, hey, we're running an ICO and we want to do a, a targeted email campaign and this and that, and we'll give you like $1,500, they're like, okay. So they're not necessarily endorsing the information. And a lot of this data is going to be, here's this new ICO that's going to revolutionize the energy industry and allow people to send bills for electricity that'll be better than ever before, as though there's a problem with that. And there are some problems with that. And some of these things that I've looked at in that sector seem pretty interesting and may address it, but I don't think you're going to make a lot of money buying their tokens. I really don't. So be careful. When you, when you read this incredible new opportunity, and on these sites, a lot of them are running banners, and these banners come out of AdServe networks, and they don't even know what banner they're running. And there are a lot of Ponzi schemes out there. You know, invest in this, and we'll pay you 3% a day. That should alert your hackles. It's probably a lie. Get involved and tell your friends and get paid in Bitcoin. All of that shit, don't... When, when you're reading the articles, that's one thing. When you start getting around the peripheral... Of this, don't get greedy. Don't get, remember what I said today. The reason I think Bitcoin's done so well, it's the most conservative currency. It takes so much to make change that it makes it very conservative. And even if it's not the fastest, the best, whatever, you know the rules. And you don't expect some major thing to happen that's stupid tomorrow. There, there's some value in that. Be conservative. It'll probably cost you. You'll probably look back and go, damn, I was too conservative. If I would have made that buy, I would have a lot more money today. But the thing is, by being conservative, you'll remember those, but you won't remember the 15 you didn't do that would have cost you money. And when you add it all up, that conservative approach in this speculative market, I think, wins the race long term. So be careful with these sources of information. That's why I don't pump them because my, here's my fear you guys trust me if you listen to this show today if it's the first show you ever listen to you, you you realize like this guy is not out for himself he's out to share what he knows because of that if i do something like say hey go do this a lot of you will so i'm very careful with that i don't want you to get hurt because i told you to do something but if i say hey go check out crypto compare and tomorrow morning those those guys send out their newsletter And you read it, you like it, and then a week later they send out a standalone news piece that's actually an ICO for this corporation that's going to make you a billionaire, and you go out and dump $10,000 into it and you end up losing your ass, you're going to blame me. So I always want to put the caution out there with it. Be conservative and think about If you don't understand it, don't do it. This next one I really don't understand. It says explain crypto cash. Um, we'll make that part of the follow-up show I get because I don't know what you're asking. It's from Michael. 
If you're asking what, bit, asking what Bitcoin Cash is, we kind of covered that. It was a fork out of Bitcoin. It's a group of people that think Bitcoin is making a mistake by not doing things. The fees are too high. Transaction times are too long. But instead of going out and creating a, a brand new cryptocurrency like Decred, and that's kind of what Decred is, they forked, they got enough computing power and, and went through a process and created what's called a fork in the Bitcoin network, which was basically... Again, you have both at the same time, as long as you control your private key or as long as the exchange you were holding on or wallet you were holding in supported the fork, you, if you had four today, you have four of each tomorrow when you do a fork. And now it's its own thing. It didn't become the new, like, the, 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 the way forks can work is basically the fork happens and all the computing power, all the miners, all the resources follow the fork, and the old one just dies and wastes away. And no one gets hurt because everybody has both. Okay? But with Bitcoin Cash, what happened was this new thing happened. It was kind of like an altcoin, like a Litecoin or a Dash, but it was done in such a way that it created that duplicity. And because of that, I believe that's part of what's inflated its value somewhat. Because I really believe if you created Bitcoin Cash as a standalone altcoin tomorrow, nobody would care. There's tons of things that already do that. So it did have some of the things with built-in built difficulty and all, too, and that helped as well. So, But that's back to it being a fork. So that's what Bitcoin Cash is. Crypto Cash, it's a, a slang term for all cryptocurrency, I guess. I You can explain more. And my last one, um, uh, that's it. That's it. The last one's just a comment. It's not really a question. So uh, hopefully this helps. And hopefully I, I accomplished what I wanted to, which isn't making you more confused than you already were, because I realize how complicated this stuff is. I don't think I did bad for not knowing what a single question was going to be before I started this show. Um, I, I, I really, you can go look on the, the forum, and you can see I posted this, and there's two different places these questions came in. Uh, I, I posted the poll, 30 minutes, whoever won one, 30 minutes of asking questions, And some questions were still coming in as I was going. So uh, hopefully I, I've made this a little bit more clear than mud. And if it's not, I'm going to tell you the problem is you probably don't even understand the basics yet. And what should you do? Go watch Amanda B. Johnson's Dash School. I'll add a link in the show notes. And I'll have a link to Crypto Compare as well. Please, friends, please, please don't get overly excited. Don't get in a huge fear of loss. But please stop saying something. I missed the opportunity. I missed the opportunity. I have listened to people tell me that for three years. For three years. I missed the opportunity. I missed the opportunity. I missed the opportunity. And some of it got in my head, and I didn't go as aggressive as I should have. Because I knew. I knew. But I'm glad I didn't think, well, you know, now that Bitcoin's $900, I missed the opportunity. Now that Litecoin's $37, I missed the opportunity. Now that Ethereum's $48, I missed the opportunity. Because, boy, there are plenty of people saying it. Plenty of people saying it. Small amounts, dollar cost, just another form of investing and learning is what it should be. With that, I hope you enjoyed today's show. And uh, if you like the show and if you think, you know, if you think that was worth 20 cents, consider uh, – I'm sorry, we already did that, right? It was a long one. If you, if you want to support the show and you don't want to spend any money that you weren't going to spend anyway, you don't want to join my membership program, all you got to do is do your online shopping through tspaz.com. A lot of you guys buy a lot of stuff on Amazon. If you do your online shopping, check out my reviews and stuff like that, 
you know, you'll support me and you buy the stuff you're going to buy anyway. I do have an item of the day review for you every day. Today is one of my favorite pieces of everyday carry. It's the Gerber Dime Multi-Tool. kind of looks like a mini Leatherman, but it does things that I like better than the Leatherman version of it. It's got, you know, a bottle opener and can opener, a screwdriver, flat-end Phillips. It's got a knife blade. Uh, it's, it's got uh, basically a, a little pair of scissors and a pair of, like, wire cutter pliers. And it's really small. I mean, it's, it's, it's not going to let you turn, like, you know, one-inch nuts or something like that. But it's, it's something I probably use three or four times a week. And because it's so small and because it hangs on my keychain, when I reach for it, it's there. It's got a little retail package opener. That's actually, I didn't think that was a big deal until I realized like how many damn things I have to get out of a clamshell and I don't want to cut into it or cut my finger and it works really good. Um, they're, uh, they're a great looking little tool. They fold up, you know, they, they're about the right size to be your key fob if you, if you want to keep your keychain down in size. Um, then they're 15 bucks. And they come in a bunch of colors, red and green and black. And I think black's the coolest one and uh, what have you, because I like black. But uh, you know what? This time of year, great Christmas present, guys, gals, telling you, uh, the Gerber Dime. And check it out. Where can you find it? And where can you learn more about all of my reviews and help support the show no matter what you buy? dun 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 tspaz.com. That brings us to our song of the day. The song of the day today is by Queensryche. And even if you're not a Queensryche fan, I bet you, if you listen to music at all uh, and have over the years, you've probably heard this song. But I, I can still remember uh, the first time that I heard Queensryche and uh, the song. It wasn't this one. It was uh, 1990, and it was I think it was pretty early in the year that it was released, because I know I, I heard this band before I left for the military, and I left for the military in 1990. And uh, the first song, and it was all the same album, Empire, was a song called Silent Lucidity. And I think what really made everybody go, wow, who is this? Is because it, the first time you heard it, you're like, that's a new, that's a new uh, Pink Floyd song. And I think this is maybe the only other song they have, and it doesn't sound like Pink Floyd, but at least kind of sort of kind of in that general direction. And everything else is a departure from that. And uh, this song was a pretty big hit for him. I don't think it was as big a hit as... Uh, It's Silent Lucidity, but it's a cool song. Here's uh, what they have on uh, Song Facts about it. Queensryche guitarist Chris DeGarmo wrote in the sleeve notes for the Japanese edition of the Empire album, anybody least listening is basically talking about two things. First of all, it is talking about trying to find freedom of soul. The second is about trying to pay attention to what it is that people are saying. It is asking whether anybody is really listening to what we are doing. And I think there's something in that. Like, to me, to find freedom of the soul, you have to feel that what you do matters. I, I really do. That's one of the reasons I, I, I bolted that into my survival tenants that I wrote over nine years ago now. The item 10, what you do matters. It's right there in the foundation of everything we do. Because I knew you needed to hear it, and it's also true. And one of the ways that we know what we do matters is that when we, we, we put out a message, we tell somebody something, they actually hear us, they're actually listening. And I think it's one of the biggest things missing in modern society today. There's never been a time where more information has been exchanged more quickly than goes on right now. Just social media alone. And the internet and general, you know, web searches. Like, there's messaging going on constantly. But does anybody really ever hear 
Or do they hear the things that confirm what they already believe to be true because that's what they want? Do they hear the things that outrage them and then think, I don't agree with that, but they go back for it over and over again because we actually feel good about being outraged. We actually kind of get off on it like a drug or something. And you can understand why people would feel... And this came out in 1990 when like only geeks like me used th some, the, 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 the thing that was sort of kind of the internet back then. Where you dialed into an individual computer and talked on a chat board. And, uh, you know, if you felt like that then, imagine how you, much people must feel like, and our young generation must feel like that by now. Does anybody even care what we have to say or think that we're important? And I want to tell you something if you're a part of that generation. Now, this, this music is from my youth. You're not alone. I'm Gen X. We got it made today as far as you're concerned. You know what? In the 1980s, early 1990s, nobody listened to us. We were all a bunch of slackers, too. So don't worry about it. And if you're ever wondering in your life, is anybody listening? Someone's always listening. And what you do matters. With that, this has been Jack Spirico with another edition of the Survival Podcast. Help me figure out how to live that better life if times get tough or if they don't.